Press on the button. No, 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 no! Ah! Hi, this is Dale Lear, designer of TRS-80 Color Baseball, and you're listening to Coco Talk. is Coco Talk, the nation's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer, with your host, Mr. Gameplay Goodness himself, Stevie Strout. That's right. The power of Terry compels us. Wow, here we are. Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, we're here. Coco Talk Live, episode 237, the Coco Fest Hangover Edition. We're all still getting our bearings back. We've got a great panel. We've got things to talk about today. Uh, we're going to, you guys all look familiar. I'm used to seeing you guys on the internet, but now I can say, hey, I saw you last weekend in person, Mark Overholzer, our resident Apple guy. Saw you in person. I saw Rick Eulen, he was there, and you were there too, Mark B, and Auntie M was there, and Toto too. Uh, Ken Waters, Canadian Retro's Things, welcome to the program. L. Curtis Boyle, rendezvous in the live audience, ladies and gentlemen. It's Nick Marota, Nick Marota, it's... Nick Marota. 
Marotta. Nick Marotta is in the live audience. Rondell Vaux is here, president of Glenside Color Computer Club. Uh, Jim Brain is here. Hello, Jim. You're muted, but welcome. My roommate and snuggle buddy Grant Leedy is here. Hey, Grant, how you doing? You miss me already? No, not at all. You know what? I don't think I farted <laughs> once in the room this time. I, I cut you some slack. So we had clean air <laughs> all weekend, which was good. I saw you live and in person at Coco Fest. Jason, the Coco Man Reichard, how are you? Howdy, howdy. Howdy, howdy. And hopefully you won't file any copy strikes against me for airing <laughs> your YouTube video live on my channel. <laughs> Maybe set up a hate site. Who knows if I'm lucky. Uh, John Lowry was there. I saw him in person. Hey, John Lowry. Hey, everybody. All right, Mr. Dave6809 is here. Hey, Mr. Dave. Hey, guys. And uh, Alan Murphy is here. Hey, Alan. Howdy, howdy. He wasn't in person, but he wasn't live. He was on Memorex. Nick Morentes is here. Good day, Nick. Good day, everyone. I saw him live at Coco Fest last week, and Brian Weasler. Hey, Brian. <clears throat> hello. Hello. Hello, hello. Uh, James Diffendaffer is here. Hello, James. Hello. And while he might not have been there in person, there was no shortage of David Ladd impersonations going on this weekend. David Ladd, are you excited to be here? David Why, Ladd. yes I am, everybody. How are you doing? Ooh. Ooh. We are so excited. I got my diet doctor Weber in order. Oh, it's going to be. It was a great fest, David. You should have been there. <laughs> Where, where is my diet Dr. Pepper? I got my sandwich, but no diet Dr. Pepper. Do not know hint, that. Hint. Do not know that. Ooh. I'm your uh, guest host this week, Stevie Stroh. And we will go ahead and kick off the Cocoa Fest wrap-up show with the president, who needs to unmute himself. But President Jim Brain, how are you <clears> doing? I'm doing fine. And I thank you all who were able to uh, attend in person and those of you who were able to watch um, the live stream presentations and the no minimum bid auction, which was quite impressive this year. I'm glad for all of you um, who attended physically or virtually. We had a great time. Um, the venue was awesome. I'd love to get some comments from folks in the panel who were there, but I think the Elk Grove Village uh, location was, uh, I mean, Heron Point was awesome, but the Elk Grove Village uh, location is attached to the conference center, the hotel, and so it's always nice to be able to come down and visit your Cocos in your fuzzy slippers. <laughs> so <clears throat> what did everybody else think about the about the venue, I guess, or the show? I'd love to hear some comments impromptu if you could. Loading of the room directly from your vehicle. That's right. That was a big deal. Any others? Yeah, the room was huge. That was great. Huge. Um, plenty of room. It looked, it even looked bigger just because we didn't have as many um, humans in the building as we would have liked to have without the Canadian and all that kind of stuff. Um, but the space is great. So come May, um, get your tables, get your exhibits, and there's plenty of room for everyone. Yes. How did was, you get all that quality stuff for uh, auction? You know, that's, that's interesting. Um, so obviously people donate stuff um, you know, as years go on. And I think the challenge has been that every year, um, you know, they've not necessarily auctioned everything off or some things came, uh, right after the show, um, you know, whatever timing wise and whatnot. And so, uh, folks would, would, uh, from the club who were in the Chicago area would put them in totes and store them away in the garages. And so when we started talking earlier this year, 
um, about the auction. I started counting up how many people were storing things um, that the club technically owns. And a lot of it was auction materials. <clears throat> and there were a number of the members who said, well, I've got 10 totes in my garage. I got X number of totes in my spare bedroom or whatever. And so we had an opportunity to uh, take some and clean them here in October, um, get them ready for the, sh you know, for the show. And I said, let's bring everybody bring their, their tubs or totes of stuff to the show. At the very least, we can see what all we have and whatnot. Well, when it came there, I mean, it was, I know some of you had a chance to look at the auction um, <clears throat> kind of presentation room, the, the room opposite from the, from the presentation uh, video area. Um, and we kept having to add tables. There was just more stuff. And then of course there's things that people brought to the show that were um, auction for auction as well. So it, it, it was just a culmination of stuff that's been collected over the last few years, probably some of it's probably, um, I'd say up to 10 years, it's been in the collection. And I think, uh, you know, I made an executive decision that I, unless it's, you know, something that's very rare that the club doesn't already have um, that we conceivably, you know, would would want to use or maybe loan out or there's some particular attachment uh, that the club has uh, to that. <clears throat> we really should get those things in the hands of folks who can enjoy them. And so that's the reason there was just a lot of stuff on the auction. There was technically more things on the auction than I would normally want to have go in a given year, but it was nice to be able to to. You know, start from a, yes, it was nice to be able to clean house and, you know, special thanks to Mark Bosley because he came in at the last minute and because we were kind of shooting from the hip on the auction and he came in in the last uh, second there and, and helped me to, you know, put things in front of the camera so that we could show it to folks. He gave some additional commentary, some of the things I wasn't really sure what they were. Um, and then we did the night auction and I think Mark was just tired and just wanted to go to bed <laughs> so he he stuck it out in the evening so we could have the the second auction so i hope folks enjoyed the auction i thought it was really fun i thought it moved very quickly i thought jason did a great job of uh being auctioneer he was and, great uh, <clears throat> so i you know I, I i thought it was really cool i would like to do maybe about i don't know maybe a, a third to a half of that amount of auctioning in the in the in the may uh, uh event but but definitely uh i would like to do what we did the the structure of it i loved it and i want to do it that same way again because it was so much nicer to have the stuff laid out in another room people could take a look at it they could kind of in you know kind of uh see what it is that they were interested in and then we just brought the camera in that room and, and Jason could talk through it. We do need to do a little bit of things with the audio so that I can hear all the questions that are being asked. But other than that, I thought it went really well. How much leftover stuff do you still have for future Coco Fest stuff, if you're asking? Well, you know, that was the thing. My goal was to be at zero when we quit, the, when we finished the auction. We do get quite a bit of auction stuff just every month. People call and they say, hey, I've got, you know, a, a system that such and such owned and they've moved into an apartment that can't keep it or... You know, somebody says, hey, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're not, we're not able to use all this material. Um, so we do get quite a bit of auction material, you know, on a regular basis. So my goal was to be completely down to just the bare minimum of boxes. We started out, I think there was, <clears throat> it was like 38 or 40 totes of stuff <laughs> that we had. I know it was, it was ton. And when I went through all the material that I thought, you know, that I, I think Mark did some and, and Tony, of course, Tony 
<clears throat> Pedraza, who's who's uh, been president for the club for a number of years. He and I went through a lot of the stuff, actually all the stuff, and we parceled out like four tubs worth of like there's some paperwork. There's a Burke and Burke uh, controller, like the one that was sold at, at auction that, that went for quite a bit of money. We have one for the club. There were some special software pieces that I felt it was important to keep and some materials that the club had generated and then some stuff for the Coco Fest themselves that evidently there used to be buttons that they gave out every year at the at Coco Fest. And so we kept some of those for posterity. That was four tubs of stuff. And I felt like that was appropriate. And then right at the end of the, uh, after the auctions were over and, and we were um, cleaning up, Rob Gibbons came over and said, Hey, some of this OS nine material didn't, didn't sell. I was trying to clean out seconds and stuff. So I'm going to donate at the club. So we already have two more totes of stuff and then <clears throat> there was a a box of uh of brand new uh five and a quarter floppy disks uh in the like they're a box of boxes in shrink wrap um that we did not end up auctioning off so we've got three tubs worth of stuff um already for the auction in right the now, david Ladd's <laughs> did you hear that yeah david lad scooby-doo ears are perking up yeah i know <laughs> yeah i heard floppies and i was like ooh. <laughs> I, I get, no, that, answers my, that answers oh, my question because I was wondering if you'd have enough be having a fest so close together here only mm -hmm. six months apart would you have enough stuff and it sounds if like you already have three tubs full then yeah yeah we play. we will not you know we will we will not suffer for having um some stuff and and quite frankly even though it was fun to do the the auction at breakneck speed um I think you know like I said slowing down a little bit having a little bit of time for chatter and whatnot um is nice the other one is I think you know a lot of the stuff that we had um, that we got rid of, like those PCs and whatnot. Um, you could Big tell on the stuff. first auction, yeah. That you know, we're cocoa enthusiasts, so the PCs are kind of a means to an end. And and there was a lot of that stuff that you know it it came from it came for the auction, but it wasn't really in high demand. Um, the other one was the Spectrum stuff that we took care of in the uh, on, on Sunday. You know, I'm, I love that that stuff went to to good places and for folks who were enthusiasts of it. But, you know, it's really it's it's not the best place to get rid of those things or auction those things off at the at this show, because, you know, you don't have a lot of the great enthusiasts. And we really didn't have a lot of knowledge of what all of that was. So I'll, I'm hopeful that we'll primarily get cocoa or or cocoa related material for the May auction. I think that's that makes for a better auction overall. So now I, I, w I thought of you, uh, David, there was a whole bunch of floppies, floppy drives, floppy controllers, and you weren't there to buy them. So bummer, right? <clears throat> yeah, that was, I heard there was going to be floppy drives. I'm like, oh, I could use some five and a quarter drives because, you know, they, they don't last very long. And especially when someone wants data recovered, especially with the grease weasel, it's kind of hard to recover data if you don't have working drives. That's Here's true. one of them. That's right. Yeah, right there. Wow. Is that one of the oh, IBM branded ones? No. Nope. Yeah, this this one of the CDC ones though. Okay. Yeah, we had half height, we had full height, we had three and a quarter, we had five and or three and a half, we had five and a quarter. We had the controller boxes. We had we had I don't know how many of those drive controller uh, interface cards that we we got that we we moved to the auction. There. Yeah, there was a ton of them. So, in any event, <clears throat> the auction was great. I appreciate. I really do appreciate, um, I know Steve, you and Mark, and of course, Randy Weaver helped as well. I, I really feel like it was great to have the presentations professionally presented on YouTube and Facebook and whatnot. 
Um, I wasn't able to view them all during the show. I was running around, and so it was nice this week to be able to go back and take a look at some of the presentations that I wasn't able to catch in their entirety. Yeah, I was so. going to say, when you were mentioning Mark Bosley, um, <clears throat> I was also going to say, let's not forget Randy Weaver, who was instrumental in a lot of the uh, uh, audiovisual stuff. And then, of course, the whole PA system would not have been there if it wasn't for Jason Timmons and the VCF Midwest um, guys to, who lent us the PAs and some projectors and all that kind of stuff. So it was a great kind of um, community collaboration there, putting all this stuff together and um and making it work <laughs> yep no i i do and, and you're right i definitely did give you know jason not only did the auction uh, work and he he stayed he he wasn't aware there was going to be three ended up being three auctions and so he was like oh no that's fine i'll do it i said no that's okay we can you know we can muddle through without you but he stuck it he stuck it out for all three and and like you said michael michael lee and, and jason timmons who were gracious enough to donate some of the big power strips that they use at VCF Midwest, as well as the PA system and, and projector material and AV equipment. And what I'm glad that we were able to get it all back to them. I, I, I want to make sure that they um, that we stay in a great working relationship with them because it was great to be able to, to borrow that stuff. And they're, <clears throat> they're, they have a warehouse. I know some of you were able to go and, and check out their warehouse. They have a collection of collections of old equipment, um, <clears throat> and they've purchased a facility to house it, the two of them together. And it is like a block, maybe a block and a half away from the Elk Grove Village location. So um, if we if we want for anything, cocoa related or otherwise, I am almost convinced that they have one, two or more of them in their facility that they could let us borrow during any of the upcoming shows. So it's great, great to have that capability um, for future Cocoa Fest, which um, <clears throat> I know Curtis wanted me to announce and I kind of alluded to it earlier, but excuse me i have the contract here um right here from uh holiday inn for the upcoming um 2022 coco fest which will be uh may 14th and 15th of 2022 so so mark it on your calendars um we will do the same thing most likely that we did for this one i i see this one somewhat the one that we just held is kind of a, a dry run for um how we're going to do the may one so we had folks come in. You could come in on Friday at five o'clock and start setting up um, the club set up uh, earlier in the day. And so we'll have uh, all the tables probably use the same layout that we had for this Cocoa Fest black tablecloth. So you can plan your decor accordingly. And um, I will get this signed back to them and we will we will once again purchase or rent. Sorry, the main ballroom A and B, which is that big, huge area where the show was held. And then we will also uh, rent the two side rooms that we used for this Cocoa Fest. Um, and we'll have obviously the, the foyer area where we did registration. So it'll be set up, I, I would think, almost exactly the same as it was for the previous or for this uh, just recently finished Cocoa Fest. So we'll definitely have one in 2022. 14th and 15th of May. 14th and 15th of May. And and <clears throat> Jim was Jim O'Keefe was nice enough to scare me to death, but then uh, caught himself. It is not on mother's day the week after <laughs> yeah. mother's day so yeah. so we don't i was not going to put it on any particular uh holiday where people would have to make difficult choices especially with significant others so it will not be on mother's day but it will be the week following <clears throat> yeah it was a great show from watching from the streaming and from i think the only thing that we uh would you know maybe mention to improve and i'm you know like you said it was dry run and new facility and everything else 
mm-hmm. was that for us that we're doing remote seminars, and I'm sure we'll we'll get some of those in the future too, because people just can't travel, you know, across continents. Right. Um, is it was really hard to hear audience questions, et cetera, because of the you know there wasn't enough mm-hmm. mics, or people were had the mic off with somebody else, and they were talking to the background, which obviously in the room they could hear just fine, but us people in the stream were just. Hear, so that that's about the only improvement I can think of. Otherwise, it looked like the show went amazingly well. I think that is probably it's not something that's specific to Cocoa Fest. I think it's just you know this idea of doing you know having folks on a conference call or having folks not you know physically present. Um, I think one of the things we'll have to have is we'll, we'll probably have to have somebody who's kind of the in-room uh, moderator or something. And so if a yeah. question gets asked and the person didn't have the microphone when they asked the question, then I think the moderator needs to essentially repeat the question yeah. so that you guys hear it and then you can respond to it. I was going to suggest either that or what was something that VCF has done on some of theirs I've seen just on some of their videos is that they'll have a mic stand, you know, at the back and then people mm. just walk up and get in line to ask questions. Right. And so the, you the know challenge was we, we had to, and when I say we, it was mostly Randy Weaver and Mark B, but this whole AV had to be cobbled together and yeah. we didn't know what the ins and outs were. And we had the challenge of most of our pre- presentations being on Zoom and so we wanted the people on Zoom to be able to hear us, but we also wanted to be able to hear the people on Zoom. So we created this infinite loop of feeding audio to Zoom and then Zoom back to the PA, um, not knowing how that was going to work, not knowing what the PA was. Now, the simple solution for uh, next year is just to have a separate mic, a good high gain, high quality mic in the center of the room that would just feed to the Zoom call. So if you have somebody remotely, they can hear the room or even the stream oh, and then okay. not create that sound. loop. But we didn't have a separate good quality mic that could be used directly for Zoom. I had one laptop and we had we actually had a PA strapped to a PA and it was a whole thing. It was a it was an incredible amount of MacGyvery going on there, um, not having seen the equipment or the room or anything else. The fact it worked at all was uh, thanks to Randy and Mark B. But yeah, knowing what that problem was and having to work around it, we, I already know what the solution is for next year. So, Greg, and I would say uh, definitely. So a couple things I know Curtis and, and others have asked about, you know, how was the fest attended? And I apologize. I don't have numbers. It looked like it was around when I saw the, the numbers on Rich's spreadsheets. It looked like it was around 75 to 80 folks who were there um, in total that included, you know, folks coming to exhibit as well as just regular attendees. So I think it was, it was, it was lower than, you know, as we expected than it would be at a normal fest, but I think it was pretty healthy. Um, the, uh, I will tell you that the auction, um, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for final numbers, but last I heard the auction brought in around $6,000 in total. So, um, I think a little bit over about $6,100 was the last number I saw. Um, so, in that regard, uh, I, I bring that up both to say, you know, thank you, thank you to everybody for, you know, for mainly for uh, purchasing the items and hopefully putting them to good use, but also for the finances that go into the club and and uh, you know we have we have that 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 we can work with uh, going forward, paying for the venue and so forth because there's costs involved there, but I think those things like high gain mic or whatnot, I. I absolutely think we should go ahead and and consider purchasing some of those items to put on future Cocoa Fest and just have that be part of the club material. I know um, Randy had talked about us purchasing some of the equipment that's that's also equipment for VCF, uh, you know, the Timmons and, and Lee stuff. Um, I'm a little, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of half and half on that because um, I do like the ability to kind of use material that is already available in the you know, in the community, as opposed to just purchasing things just to have our own version of them. 
Um, the other one is that if we don't, if, if we buy a high gain mite and Mike and, and VCF doesn't didn't have one, um, we could reverse. We could we could share it with them during VCF Midwest because we normally wouldn't hold our uh, hold our events same time that they're holding theirs. And I'd like to be able to, you know, kind of have this sharing thing go both ways. So, but definitely, I do want to know if there's stuff that we need to to purchase in order to make the fest work better. I think it's 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 reasonable to use some of the funds that we have and uh, and and take advantage of those things. But definitely we we did make a profit. I know a number of people are like, did we fund enough to have another Cocoa Fest? And and the answer is yes, we absolutely did. So there's no no worries about uh, finances on the 2022. Two things I would like to mention is, first of all, I will be taking care, uh, taking charge of the Cocoa Fest for next year. So if you have any questions, concerns, reach out to me. Uh, I finally do have a Glenn side. <laughs> thanks, Stevie. <laughs> uh, I do have a Glenside email account, finally. Uh, thanks to Eric. He got me hooked up with that. Uh, also, I will be sending out a Survey Monkey survey as soon as I can figure out how to get everybody's email addresses that went to the fest to also ask for your opinions on how the dinner was. Uh, one of the biggest things that I've heard that was a major, major, major improvement over previous years was the registration. Good job on the registration. That was... Mm. That was painless. So. Yep. so, so wait a minute, Grant. You're you're in charge of Cocoa Fest now. Yes, I am. The Glenside last Cocoa Fest. So, so maybe, I'm with this. This might be the actual last Cocoa Fest. Then? <laughs> <laughs> no, it will not be. <laughs> but uh, yep. so be looking for your email on that. So I'll probably be send. Hopefully, try to send that up this week. So because I think Jim wanted me to put something together for everybody uh one other thing too what do you guys think about dinner was the meatloaf good oh. and the brisket I, I, too. yeah i <laughs> like the meatloaf i know some people have i know meatloaf that's a controversial opinion but i, I enjoyed the meatloaf it kind of had like a a barbecue type glaze to it but i also enjoyed the brisket i i just had a little bit of everything i i enjoyed most yeah, of it I, I i didn't try the meatloaf because i'm not a meatloaf fan i did have the other shaved meat that was freaking amazing I think my only suggestion would be is have two color meats, like a red and a white. So either have a chicken or a pork and a red meat uh, for some like variety. Wine. Or a fish. You know, try the fish. Um, so <laughs> I, I think those were both pretty low on the list, though, for oh, the, yeah? on the survey. If I'm okay. mistaken. People voted. People voted. Ch 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 chicken was doing nicely up until the very end, and then Meatloaf had a rally at the last few days and over <laughs> overtook it. So Team Meatloaf. Well, I know. I, I, was, I was very surprised and yeah. chagrined that Mystery Meat ended up winning the second slot. But, wow. you know. Well, one thing I heard, and you guys were actually there, but I was just hearing this third party from people, is that uh, they most people thought the meal itself was really, really good, but they were a little bit disappointed in the dessert. Is that what you it guys felt? There, I, I would agree. Before. Yeah. Yeah. The dessert was uh, a small selection of cupcakes and a few small slices of square cake that seemed to be mostly frozen from what I heard from the people. <laughs> it was no. like a, dessert was I, a complete afterthought. <laughs> well, what can we scrape on a platter and shove out here to these yeah. So. I had no frozen part of the cake. It was all thawed. It was a oh, little was it really? it was chilled, but it was, oh, it was um, uh, very cool. It was very cool, but I, it right. was okay. Well, did you have any cool whip to go? I on did top not of have it? any cool whip. No, okay. I did not. Yep. Oh. I think the good I, dessert went to the wedding that was going on at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed the venue overall. I thought it was, you know, the room was nice, the staff was nice, uh, the dinner was nice. I mean, not not perfect. No, not necessarily, but overall. I enjoyed the the venue a lot. I thought it was a nice place. 
I don't remember, but was there a gluten-free slash vegetarian offering there? Because I know that had been requested in the past when we were doing the barbecue. Yeah. Um, so the salad, the, salad? The, the vegetables, the vegetables, right? The steamed vegetables. Yeah, those, the, those, those vegetables were, I, I had some. Yeah. Like I said, I had a little bit of everything. It was good. Yeah. Yeah, I verified because I had a couple folks who who needed gluten free options, and so I verified that everything except the bread on the meal that you guys ate was gluten free, okay. um, and so we didn't have to have a separate meal for that. But I did reach out, and it was perfectly okay. And obviously, we'll continue to do the the catered you know buffet dinner um, in future Coco Fests. But uh, if it's a vegetarian, um, you know, if they want a fully vegetarian meal. Um, the way we typically would do that is we would just uh, order a plated meal for those individuals and then just make sure that the staff are aware that these particular individuals have the, the vegetarian or vegan options. Now, now, this may sound odd, but um, did anyone consider hot cocoa there at the uh, show? <laughs> I, you know, I didn't. And, and, and I, I, you know, one of the things that I got caught by was um, so I'm I'm in I.T. and have been for almost 30 years. And I, for some reason, I just never acquired a taste for coffee. And so I know that's a big thing with computer folks, but I just, I don't do coffee. And so I worked on all the other stuff, the dinner and, I'm, you know, Tony was doing the primary part of the organizing, but I was working with the venue. So I, Vicky is the catering person and that's how the venue is set up is, is primarily an extension of the catering service. So I was taking care of things like, you know, the dinner and how many and, and what kind of, you know, Grant and I were working on the menu and, um, how they wanted the tables, you know, how we wanted the tables set up and whether we wanted tablecloths and what color and all that kind of stuff. And I took care of all those items and I didn't even think about water and coffee at the venue. And so I didn't hear anything about it. Everybody was really nice until about, I don't know, 11 o'clock or so, maybe 1045 in the morning. And somebody came over and said, you know, everything's going well, um, except people have been complaining about the lack of coffee. And I'm thinking, oh, crap. You're right. And there was always was these tubs of coffee at the Heron Point thing in that cafeteria area. So I went over to Tony and I said, did you ask the venue for coffee? Cause, and he said, oh, no, I completely forgot. He said, we used to, we'd asked Heron Point about coffee um, and they always charged an arm and leg for it. So my wife and Chris Hawk's wife usually just went to Dunkin' Donuts and bought those. The box those, of Joe. Yeah, the box yeah. of Joe. And yeah. we just buy a couple box of Joe every day. So I, I got wrangled the the person who was there all weekend to help us with anything we needed. And I asked if we could get some coffee. And uh, I think actually Eric Canales um, uh, wrangled them and, and uh, we got, we got the coffee there, you know, around midday. So my apologies for that. And then I said, Hey, can we have it for the next morning, early in the morning? So we rectified that issue, but, but you're right, uh, Ron, next, next uh, spring, I should ask for a, a little uh, a service for cocoa. That, cocoa. that would make, that would make I'd, I'd have sense. some of that with my coffee. That would be awesome. Yeah. That'd, that'd be cute. I should do that. There were a lot of things that, you know, little things um, that obviously seeing the whole, how it all played out that, that uh, would, would want to change. There's another opportunity to do a celebration. I did the cupcakes for the, the 40th and 41st uh, anniversary of the cocoa. But this, as, as uh, Bruce Moore's pointed out, this upcoming show is the 30th annual last Chicago Cocoa Fest. And so to that end, we have a 30th anniversary that we should celebrate in some interesting way. So I'll be looking for um, thoughts around some sort of treat that we might bring, whether it be cake or cupcakes or whatever for uh, for that kind of celebration. So there's just a lot of little things like that. The 
initially we were going to do auctions in one room and we were going to do presentations in another and that went by the wayside even before we got set up because it was way too hard to think about putting all that video equipment in two different rooms so i'm glad we made that shift i think that made you just got muted jim oh sorry i hit yeah. my space bar and there we go um anyway uh uh, the, the other thing was like you mentioned, Steve, the back-to-back -back presentations was really tough on the, on, on the folks who were doing the, you know, if things went long or anything like that, and there needed to be a little bit more time. So there's things, obviously we already know that we need to shift for, for the, for the May show. <clears throat> yeah. I I'm in favor of less presentations, mm -hmm. um, and just, pick kind of quality over quantity, even if we had one in the morning and maybe one after lunch, um, because that always becomes the Sophie's choice when you're there. It's like, well, do I want to hang out? Do I want to see the exhibit store? Do I want to listen to somebody speak? And, and, and if you're somebody who's like at the table soldering and doing stuff, you don't get to enjoy it anyway. So if we could kind of find a happy balance where we have one or two speakers per day, but have mm -hmm. more time to spend in the floor room. What I loved this year in particular, because of the kind of nature of it, there was so much more hangout time. You know, mm -hmm. when you looked in any corner of the main room, there was a cluster of people, half a dozen people circled in every single corner and in these different areas. And all these conversations were taking place because we had free space. You know, there were a lot of vendors who didn't come this year and things like that. So we had ample space and there was all these breakout conversations taking place and mm -hmm. it's kind of hard to tear yourself away from that and then have to go sit down for an hour to speak to somebody especially when there's one after the other after the other so we could find that right. balance where you have quality time and quality presentations um you know find that goldilocks way of doing that yep um so I, we I have, okay. oh go ahead Oh, I was going to say, I have one question, like in, in fests in the past, like even back to Rainbow Fest and then the earlier Cocoa Fest, one nice thing that we, we did back then is that you'd have a, a restaurant at the venue and then everybody would go for breakfast type thing mm -hmm. instead of scattering to all different restaurants all over mm -hmm. the place. And then you had mm -hmm. that whole community thing going the whole time. Mm -hmm. is, is the restaurant at this place conducive to that? I've heard some people say it's a little expensive. I don't know what that exactly means. Or uh, I wouldn't say it's, I mean, for breakfast over the weekend, it's probably not... Um... Well, so here's the deal. I mean, if we wanted to do something like that, I can definitely, you know, set up an idea to like cater something and have like there was a big atrium area where the dinner was and I could do the same thing for for breakfast um, where it might be a little bit more economical. The buffet over the weekend was twelve dollars for the buffet. And I, you know, I think part of it is it was not cheap, you know, and the other one was I think it was a little bit limited this this time because of, you know, buffets. Um, are a little bit challenging in the yeah. during yeah. the pandemic. I, I <clears> would <throat> say it was similar to what Heron Point offered. There was a meat, there was a, an egg, there was a potato, and then you had you know some type of either French toast or pancake. So I think you had a fairly good cross section mm -hmm. of your breakfast staples. Um, I, I yeah, I th I think really the the breakfast was reasonable. The buffet I liked it. Now, if anyone stayed over on till Monday, you would have noticed there was not a buffet on. Mm -hmm. On Monday, but uh, I, I didn't think twelve dollars was all that unreasonable. The only thing I didn't really care for was the beverage options. It was basically coffee or orange juice, and right. uh, I don't, yeah, I don't feel bad, Jim. I I've never acquired the coffee taste for coffee either, and I like orange juice, but orange juice doesn't like me. <laughs> <laughs> so so I, I, I always try to opt for like yeah. an apple juice or something. Yeah, but they didn't have yeah. that. No, I, I mean, there's, I would say 
I think the area, it's Shelby's, Shelby's, what's the name of it? Shelby's Campbell's. is what they called it. Campbell's. Shelby Campbell's, that's right, um, right. <clears throat> is the name of the venue or the, the restaurant. I, I, there was a big area in the middle where you could put a bunch of tables together and have, you know, and then there was there was booze that yeah. all went all the way around. <clears throat> so there was plenty of space to have a big contingent. And that actually happened on Sunday for lunch. Yeah. There was Sunday we ended who, up running late to John Strong's presentation. So everybody settled in there at once so it took a while for people to get their food and to eat and to get out and it yep. <clears throat> wasn't terrible awesome hamburgers oh the the food was great i tried something different each time so i had a burger i had a chicken sandwich i had chicken wings i had a little bit of everything the food was great yep and i didn't think right it was there. all that unreasonably priced either no no, it's like, like, no, no i mean no. it was like maybe like i mean what i think of like twelve dollars twelve dollars a meal yeah, 12, yeah. 12 13 yeah. bucks. It wasn't that bad, I think, considering the, the area and everything. I thought it was and the quality of the McDonald's. food. Yeah. yeah, the quality of the food. It's not it's not Wendy's or McDonald's prices. Right. I, I thought right. it was quite I thought it was quite reasonable. <clears throat> and it was very yep. convenient to not have to leave. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that was a big thing I wanted to, to ask about because yeah. that was something in the older fest we did all the time. Like we yeah. did have people that always wanted off because they wanted to get a certain type of food, but generally most of the community hung around. You'd be talking, walking between tables. Some of them had buffet style, so you'd actually go up to start getting your food. Then you get distracted talking to Brother Jeremy because he sat down and you talked to him for like half an hour. Then you, oh, yeah, I got to get food. And you know, type thing to do. It became a much more communal experience. It was awesome. I, I think as time goes on, I, I don't see us outgrowing this venue anytime soon. So um, not that I'm saying the, the club isn't going to grow anymore, but I think we've got plenty of room to grow into this facility. And there's rooms that we haven't, we don't rent yet. So, so there's obviously more options. So I think as time goes on, people will get more comfortable with the fact that there is a uh, a, a, res a restaurant on site and start to make that part of their plans. I assume they didn't this time because, you know, it's the first time the number of people who've been at the venue. And so they were just thinking, oh, I'm going to head off to Portillo's or I'm going to go down to McDonald's for breakfast or, you know, whatever. Um, so I think people will start to sh start to shift their their way of considering lunch at the very least um and maybe even breakfast and so that probably will become more of a thing but the venue was, or the uh, restaurant was conducive to that and it sounds like the prices weren't unreasonable for folks i mean it's hard to tell what people think is no, uh, is economical the, the quality the food, was actually quite good i yeah. would I, I just somebody said it was expensive like it sent me a, a private message and i thought you know i was thinking maybe they're charging like 20 bucks a plate or something they may, oh, no, they no, may no, be no, a cheapskate no. who knows yeah. yeah well and i don't think that that portello's is open on sundays we did mm. go to portello's some of us went to portello's for they closed early saturday. on saturday too and uh but it, it's kind of it's kind of more of a more of an industrial area than i well, quite industrial but it's more office park and you know there's there's so not more like business a, hours type thing. more business type places yeah. there there's not like a I know I went to Walmart and I went to Target on different occasions, and they're not just right down the street. They're like 15 right. minutes down the road. So it's, it's a little. It's one one it's thing that I liked. Go ahead. I was going to say it's good there's things on site because once you leave, you're leaving the site. You're, you're going to be driving a little ways for something. Yeah, there, there, was, there is a 7 Eleven right next yeah. to it. Yeah. Other than, Six other feet than away from the building's a 7 Eleven. Yes, I, I enjoyed one of their fine sandwiches on uh, Friday night, I believe. <laughs> Mark, what did you have? Oh, the 7-Eleven. I mean, six oh, okay. feet from the building, there's a 7-Eleven and a gas station. Yep. So yep. that was greatly I, appreciated. I will say the 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 most interesting, I mean, it was a nice, it's a nice venue. It's not, you know, it's not a brand new venue, but it kind of, it's kind of the floor 
coverings had kind of an 80s vibe that I thought was cool too. So, um, so that was kind of kind an of an added 80s bonus. Smell to it as well. So. <laughs> yeah, it did. And different heights, depending yeah. on how many floors yeah. have been. That's right. I had <laughs> taken a picture of the uh, the the main room where we you know, we had the fest and uh, had taken and posted it to Facebook on my mother's side. And go, that's some wild carpet they had. It in is. There. It was. It was. It was definitely you know not for the faint of heart. But um, even though the venue was really nice, I I, I know many of you wouldn't know this but it was very nice to be able to interact with the staff they seemed genuinely happy we were there um and not that wasn't just because of the pandemic i i think um uh jason timmons who used to run vcf midwest there he said they've always they've always been you know really uh flexible happy to assist and accommodate and so forth i know i needed extra tables that friday as we were setting up and the guy was like pulling them out almost as fast as I could uh, comment about them and getting tablecloths on them. And when we, you know, I goofed up and I didn't get the coffee and he managed to fix that for me real quick. And so it's nice to be able to work with folks that are, you know, don't see you as an irritant, like, yeah. oh, well, you're just a retro <clears throat> computer club. You know, they were excited to have us. And in, in fact, um, not that I'm necessarily, you know, suggesting that we as a club try to take on more things, but, but Jason indicated that the, the Elk Grove Village Holiday Inn, ping him every once in a while and saying, hey, is there like another thing that, you know, because they're too big now to, to, to do their main event in this facility anymore, but it's a nice facility, it's nice size. And so I've been trying to think with him over, is there something else that's um, like a mid-year or late year or something, um, alternative thing that would also be able to take care of the venue? Because having, having a venue that's willing to work with you and put something together at, a, at an economical level, uh, uh, investment is is really worth a lot, especially in this in this space. Well, you're actually um, doing two uh, Cocoa Fests within six months. So oh yeah yeah next yeah. November. Yeah, I know. So in my, if there was something that was, you know, that was, I, I don't know. I was thinking, you know, one of the things I've always thought was really cool is um, is Kansas Fest, which is this week long thing for the Apple mm -hmm. Two crowd and. A week-long thing may be a little long, but it would be one of the things I thought is it would be nice to have. Um, sometimes I don't have enough time um, to focus attention on putting a lot of effort towards a project, and it would be nice to have a time where you could set up at a table or tables and have a bunch of people who are there to help you kind of do various things. You could get together with a group like or whatnot. Almost sounds like a maker fest. That's right. Like kind of like maker fest, but, but not necessarily, I mean, people from the public could come in, but it's primarily, it's not around showing off things that you have done. It's more of like taking time to create new things with people there to either provide moral support or, you know, Hey, I'll do the hardware, you do the software and we'll collaborate right at the show or, or right at the event and, you know, have it maybe a three or four day event and then, you know, take a few days off of a vacation get there, do a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and hopefully put, you know, take those, whatever those 96 hours are and, and, and make something really cool, like new drivers for OS nine or some sort of hardware project or whatever, be able to just focus some genuine time on something, especially around people that are saying, you know, Hey, I'm here for you as opposed to all the other millions of things that tend to take my attention away when I'm at home. Sounds like a cocoa workshop. I know. Workshop, we'll see. Man. We'll see if there's if there's value in doing something like that. And 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 my view is it may not be something that's just cocoa related. But we invite, yeah, no, I you know, I actually <clears throat> like that idea. And I I tell you a perfect example of that is like for me, VCF Midwest is just that, where 
honestly, I go there. The Factors of Vintage show is kind of white noise backdrop for me. I'm going there to see my friends and hang out and mm-hmm. just shoot the shoot the shite, right? Yep. So to have that kind of um, just get together, mm-hmm. that kind of communal vibe is really cool. And <clears throat> I, I'm using this year as a perfect example, too. If we had no presentations and we had no auction and we still had that same 75, 80 people there just hanging out, and mm-hmm. those those kind of clusters of conversations going on, that's a good time too to a computer node just to be able to talk to other people who speak your language, you know. Yep. And and I think people would. I know I would. I do. I go away for a weekend to have those geeky conversations. So I don't think it's. I don't think having a auction free, speaker free, Cocoa Fest type event is a terrible idea. I think it's a great idea. Well, definitely they've got you know this venue and they're obviously looking for additional things to plan out there. Yeah, count me so. in. Count me okay. in. Okay. <clears throat> so yeah, I was I, thinking the same thing about uh, attending VCF. Yeah, it. it I, I, you know, I obviously sounds like I'm, you know, jumping ship if I tell people I think VCF uh, Midwest is a is a is a great show, and I highly encourage um, everybody if you if you can if you can get away to go to a show in the fall. Normally, it's held in September. Um, it is it is an excellent show to go to because it it, it does have uh, some of the other VCFs are more of the presentation and uh, speakers and whatnot. And, and VCF Midwest, although they do have speakers and presentations, um, it is more of what, what Steve's talking about. It, it kind of, it, the, the, the VCF Midwest, and I know I've told people this, and I don't want to spend too much time on it, but VCF really, uh, Midwest kind of grew out of what used to be called the emergency Commodore computer something, ECC, I forget what the expansion was, but essentially there was a computer show in Chicago that the club uh, that was running it dwindled down to too few people and decided to not put it on. And one of the individuals who came to that show, um, uh, Jason Compton, said, but that is my one time of the year where I can get together with my friends and just be, you know, Mm -hmm. just exist and and have that nerdy conversation or maybe not even computer conversation just see my friends and so for a number of years he sponsored a show which was free just every every fall at the same amount same time just for people to come and the whole show was just as steve as you noted it was just noise it was like oh yeah sure if you want to come and present or you want to come and and show off your stuff great but really the focus of the show is just to show up and chat mm-hmm. and then uh and then uh, jason said hey um you know this is great but it's only for Commodore computers and and we really like to have something for the other platforms as well and so it kind of grew out you know he started and they they hit they they ran the show at the same time both shows at the same time and then eventually VCF Midwest just took over but it kept a lot of that just come and visit is a real focus for the show I think because of the nature of how that show started and that's nice yeah definitely definite hangout vibe Absolutely. I've been to two now. It's, it's, it's good fun. Although the, the best part is usually uh, having, having David Ladd there uh, the first time I was there and uh, <laughs> him geeking out all over all of the uh, YouTubers that were there. Right. <laughs> and, and both years um, we ended up having like a cocoa cluster where every, we were all in the same room and pretty close to each other. And then it was kind of neat to represent uh Tandy products in a venue that typically doesn't have a lot of Tandy uh, presence and, and yes. have those conversations, people talking about, oh, man, I remember the MC-10 and this and that and the other. And, oh, they, oh, you have an RGB cable? That's great. I didn't even know you had that, you know, things like that. So it's really cool that people see this stuff for the first time sometimes. 
Yeah, I mean, nothing else just to bring in there, represent Coco. And I, I spent more time at BCF talking Coco than anything else there. And I think the first time I was there, we had the Coco row and this. We kind of had a little Coco section. So I always try to request to be in the Coco section just so uh, and have the MC-10 there, too. Right. Yeah, well, that was the fun part is uh, I think it was what you, Jason, it was Jason, me, Richard, and I think the person that was next to Richard was Neil, wasn't it? Neil. Tom C. was there too. Eric Canales. Mm-hmm. So, so, so just let's let, let's let's switch back to Coco Fest gears yep. here for just a second, and maybe this is going to be Grant's obligation. But one thing that's been lacking at VCF Midwest is actually promoting Glenside and Coco Fest in a marketing perspective, like just being there and saying, hey, we're Glenside and here's a cool demo of a keyboard. That's great. But you should have flyers and QR codes and stuff saying, hey, we are a club. We are in the Midwest area. We do have an event that's in the Midwest area. If you enjoyed this show, you'll probably enjoy our show, too. <clears throat> and, and, and if you get 10 people out of the 2000 that were there to show up, you've just expanded the, you know, the event. Yep. Um, I, I would say that's Grant and I both have a responsibility to do that, and and um, and yes, I thought about flyers. Um, unfortunately, it was you know the week after BCF Midwest yeah. this year, yeah. and so um, and I think you'd mentioned it at the show, right? And and so we just we just dropped the ball on that, and we need to do better. The other thing is, um, I think it's time for uh, for Glenside to have a nice big you know banner that we you know one of those vinyl whatever it is is that you can put on the front of the table um, that. You know that that's got a QR code in it. I know the interesting thing is Coco Bite, which was at our show or at, at Coco Fest. Um, they had their big kind of banner thing on the front of their table, and I was taking pictures of all of the tables so that I would you know have a record of what it, whoever who all was there and whatnot. And they have a QR code on their banner, which is cool. Except every time I tried to take a picture of their your, of your their phone video, wanted to, <laughs> the phone to, was trying yeah. to go to their website, which which was cool. Um, so that was kind of neat and, and it just kind of pops up. So, um, I think having the QR code there so folks know when the show is and when the meetings are and all that is, is great. Um, and so I'm going to, I'm going to work on Salvador, uh, Garcia and I still have some unfinished business around some, some, uh, graphics for, for, for Glenside. And so I'm hoping to make a, a banner and then have that, you know, maybe, I don't know, whatever it is, eight foot long and maybe three foot tall that we can put or two and a half foot tall, whatever those tables are at. So you can just hang it on front of the tables at BCF Midwest or even, you know, other, if we go, you know, somebody, I know, um, uh, <clears throat> you know, it's probably a little bit less likely that, uh, that somebody from the, from the Northwest is going to, you know, hand, you know, come all the way to Coco Fest in Chicago, but, you know, we could ship that banner to folks like Mark Hobelzer. I know you go to VCF Pacific Northwest and some of the other venues, um, and definitely, uh, kind of show off that the club some people don't even know the club still exists so it's nice to be able to put that banner there and kind of give people an additional uh reason to at least join the meetings and maybe plan a trip or even visit us virtually because i think we'll continue to have the virtual presentations and the virtual feeds and so forth as we go forward even plus it'll be a form of advertising because when bcf takes their own pictures and puts them on their site and people just interested in retro go they'll suddenly see like a big glenn side thing good good point very good point yeah very good point. One of the things I do not have that I, I really would like is, um, and, and I plan to bring it back, um, is I know a number of folks took videos of our the Tesla coil presentation that we did in the evening. 
and uh, at the Cocoa Fest, and so I didn't happen. I was busy doing it, so I didn't have a chance to get a video of it. So I'll anybody... send you a couple. I've got a few on my phone. <clears throat> Good. So that would be great because I know that was a big. There was a ton of people that wanted that, and it was a big. It was a big uh, draw while we were while we were performing it. I need to get Brian Schubring to get some more Cocoa-related music set up for it, so that we can have a, a maybe a, a Tesla Cocoa um, multimedia presentation. Yeah, orchestra presentation there in the evening. Do we have a hey, mini version of Nightmare Highway for that? Yeah, um, that's a good point. We need one. <laughs> hey, Jim, are they going to set up like a Facebook album or something for this so that we can uh, contribute photos? I will put one out there. Let me write myself a note yeah, to I do that. I have a few. I can do that, too, and okay. tag that. Yeah, we should have one central album where we can all. Yep. Let me let me, dump let me do that. Um, <clears throat> for those who are on Discord, I did post most of the pictures from my phone to the Glenside Discord channel as just kind of a running tally of what was going on it looked cool. excellent yep so if you didn't if you were able to attend virtually um uh and you have a chance to come in person in may please please try and do so i think it was the great and it'd be even better obviously we have um more folks to collaborate with during the weekend yeah it was a great event great job jim to you and everybody all the uh, organizers and folks from Glenside and everything else. Excellent event. Cool. The venue felt right. I just I, I would excellent. have to say of all the Cocoa Fests I went to this year, this was the absolute best. <laughs> well, that's because I was there. Oh yeah. John Lowry all is the, the big draw. <laughs> of all the Cocoa Fests this year, this is one of them. This is one that's of right. them. Yeah. <laughs> hey Jim, make uh, two banners. So if you send one, you're not stuck. Oh, well, yeah, I, yeah. By the power of of uh, making sure that I have two of them, so that yes. we always have one available. Fair right. Good well, job. that was that was all I know of at this point. If I get more information, I will share it on Facebook and Discord and so forth. Yeah, it was an absolute smash event. It was a good time, great weekend of just hanging out. It was a busy. Exhausting nonstop roller coaster ride, especially for myself and Mark B and, and Randy Weaver and, and you and Jason Timmons. So, a lot of us were, you know, the showrunners, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, but it was still, it was fun. It was worth every minute of it. You know, you're up at seven in the morning, you're going to bed after midnight. We didn't have, well, at least I wasn't awake for them. There weren't the two to three a.m. lobby hangouts like there were at the Heron Point, but maybe it's just because my ass was too tired to stay up that late, but I was midnight, I'm go we're going up to the room and I'm exhausted, but that was one yeah. fun thing too, it was like a Friday night hanging out in the lobby till two or three in the morning type thing. Um, I don't know if that took place. Um, that Saturday night I saw there were a number of people that were in that atrium area at about, you know, when I finally yeah. uh, closed up, there were a number of folks still out there. Friday, I don't know, I'm, I don't know if it wasn't Friday night. There's a nice area for it. And, you know, in the future, if if we want to, I mean, there's I got the key for the evening so or for the for the weekend for the for the for the room. So I could I can leave them open or, you know, whatever. Um, if folks wanted to you know, keep the thing running, we, we've done that in the past for other for other shows. Um, so people could, you know, play with the Cocos until the wee hours of the morning until the last person decides to, to finally you know, yeah, we couldn't do that at Heron Point because the 
<clears throat> the supervisor of the Heron yeah. Point building would kick us out at a certain yeah. time. But Mr. Cranky <clears throat> was there at 11.50. Yeah, he was. He was, All he was, right, kids, was it's time his to watch, get out of right? here. That's right. <laughs> I got my um, key ring here. I'm locking your asses out. <laughs> yeah. There was a show down in, in or down south of Cincinnati that I remember where they just, they just left the venue open all night long. So you could you could be in there. I mean, it was somebody was manning it all night long, but, wow. but you could be in there all night long. So I'm, there might be value in that. I don't know. I, I'll be honest, like you, uh, I was, I was just beat by the time yeah. midnight rolled around on Saturday. I was, I think I told everybody to basically get out and yeah. I wasn't yeah. even too nice about it. So <laughs> well, I do remember the old days, like in, in the rainbow fest era there, there, there used to be all these gatherings in some of the rooms. You'd have these little pockets of, you know, hardware people, always nine people, Doris, Doss people, whatever. And those literally would go to four or five in the morning. There's a few times where I saw people did not sleep and they'd attend like half a show and then go have a nap in the afternoon and miss whatever the afternoon seminars were. Mm-hmm. So I, I do see some value in that. Also, I want to mention that uh, Tom Eric Anderson uh, and in the chat there says, thanks for all the live streams. It was fun to follow from Norway. Oh, cool. Well, yeah. I'm, I, 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 I cannot tell you how awesome it is to have those streams, both the live for people to view that, you know, and ask questions as well as, you know, for those of us who, just could not catch all of them. We right, were busy right. doing other things. And, and, and I know, I know, a few people were watching the streams at their tables too, which was also nice. Right, and the, and the great thing yep. is, it's here for history. You know, it is. Yep. It's it's this is posterity. Um, so, good stuff. Great no, I, event. Yep. One of the things I I was not I I was so I I, I didn't quite understand this. I, I put up a I put up a show feed in the main show floor from my area, which is where those the big console TV and everything was, and just pan, just did a wide swath of the of the show. And I had it on all day, both days, and it was mainly just to kind of you know give a kind of overall view of the show space or whatnot. But on Sunday, I came back and I, I had loaded up restreams chat and i have the text to speech thing turned on on it for for other reasons and so there were people trying to carry on a conversation so they they listen to people talk through the stream because i had the audio on on sunday and then obviously it was delayed and then they would text something in this chat and then it would it would say it out loud through my computer and then the people that were sitting there at my at my booth would hear it and then they would sprawl to it. It was the world's slowest conversation. <laughs> that was <happening. laughs> I, I know was I like, had some fun with that. Once I realized what was going on, I, yeah. I sent like, Ooh, yeah. ee, ooh, ah, ah, ting, tang, walla, walla, bang, bang, right. or something. <laughs> so I don't know if I need to, you know, if, if folks find that, you know, useful, I know there's, we, we, you know, we have some folks that are like, Oh, those feeds from the, floor challenging because you know you might be saying stuff that you don't necessarily want broadcast and and you're right next to the feed but it seemed like everybody understood what was going on there and so maybe if i just make it more prominent that you can interact with the people on the chat maybe create a zoom call for that or whatnot so it's not so delayed because it was just painful to hear yeah it was like a 10 to 15 second delay. i know people would answer and we'd already moved on to another part of the and i didn't realize for a minute what was going on and all of a sudden i hear my synthesized voice on my computer start spitting stuff out and i'm like oh crap i didn't even mean to leave that on and but it was evidently (laughs) useful so i just left it on for the rest that was that was a very amusing mistake i i I enjoyed it yes oh well serendipity and the console tv will make a return so for those of you who and the laser disc player i think mm-hmm. may make a return as well everybody enjoyed watching star wars i was i was so was so worried if the empire was going to win or not but yeah it turned out <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I had money on this one because I really wasn't sure. Um, so, so you, bet the... on, you bet on the Washington Generals too, Steve. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so one of the nice things about the hotel you're looking for things is their internet didn't let us down. No, it didn't. It was really, we had, man, we had at one point Saturday, we had three streams going. We had the mainstream in the, in the presentation room, Steve was taken care of. And we had, I had a stream going and then Brian Schubring had a stream from the North end of the, of the show floor going as yeah. well. So and, it was, and it was the boring. thing too, is like when we were doing the auction, there was the camera that what I call the QVC cam that kind of zoomed in on the stuff. That was an Android device on Zoom. Mm -hmm. That was wirelessly mm -hmm. streaming to the main room. Mm -hmm. Then there was a mm -hmm. laptop in the main room showing the QVC cam up on the projector. That was a laptop wirelessly streaming on Zoom. And then there was my laptop that was taking all those conglomerates and streaming them out to the universe. That was another thing that was streaming. So there was multiple Zoom streams going on just to present the main feed. Uh, it was, there was, you know... I did lose hair because of all the Wi-Fi that was going on in that event. That weekend, right? so, um, but you did have Jim Brain doing some hand modeling too. Yes, there we did so, during the auction. Yeah. Yes, that's right. So yeah, there was there were a lot there was a lot of Wi-Fi traffic going on there, and it, and it seemed to hold its own. So cool, good times, good times. Sloopy has joined us. Sloopy was also there live and in person at Coco Fest this weekend. Hello, Sloopy. Greetings. That was your first yes. Coco Fest. Yes, not my first uh, VCF, but definitely my first Coco Fest. And, and how to drive wirelessly make its its maiden debut? How did that go? Well received. Yes, it went well received. I just wish I had more to uh, share the goodness, mm -hmm. which are currently um, queuing up now. <laughs> excellent, excellent. I was going to say you got six months. <laughs> Right, Welcome well, to Brian Schubring has joined us as well. Who's Brian Schubring, who was there, the music man as well. Hey, Brian. Hello, hello, hello. I come in a little hot, but that's, oh, that's yeah. all right. Hey, lady. Uh, lady. Good to see you there, Brian. All right, well, it's been exactly an hour that we've been on the air. Why don't we take a commercial break, and then we'll come back. We're going to do some Game On stuff. We'll do some new stuff, and then we can do more. Um, I, I've got some show and tell to show that I brought back from Coco Fest, so... We're not going to stop talking about Cocoa Fest, but we're going to talk about a few things in the middle of this Cocoa Fest sandwich. So we'll be back after these words, boys and girls. Cocoa Talk would like to thank the patrons who sponsor our program. So our heartfelt gratitude goes out to Alan Huffman, Alan Murphy, Blair Ledoux, Bowden Aaron, Brendan Donahue, Brian Weasler, Karen Anscombe, D. Bruce Moore, Daniel Williams, Diego, Eric Canales, Glenn Hewlett, Graham Vebke, Grant Leedy, Henry Strickland, Jason Downs, Ken Reichert, Kyle Etter, Malfunct, Michael Pitsley, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Paul Thayer, Rick Eulen, Rob Inman, Stephen Wagner, Steve Batson, Steve Rasmussen, Terry Steen, Terry Steggy, The Backyard Shed Gang, Tom C., Tom S., Tom Heron, Tony C., and William Athey. Thank you ever so much, patrons. Hey there, it's Andrew here with the Tandy Speech and Sound Cartridge that I won from Coco Talk Live. So uh, next time, make sure to tune in. It may change your life. We'll return after these announcements. Coco Two's got personality, lots of practicality, fun, it's sensational, learn, it's educational. Coco Two's expandable, so easily commandable. 
The color computer with personality from Radio Shack. Sale price for Christmas giving from $149.95. Radio Shack's Coco to do what you want to do. What's going on, everybody? The Original Gamer Stevie Stroh here, and I want to talk to you about Amacoconut.com. If you love the color computer like I love the color computer, then you got to visit Amacoconut.com, your one-stop shop for all of your candy color computer links needs. There you'll find links to blogs and podcasts and project sites and emulators and downloads and groups and communities. If you love the color computer, head on over to Amacoconut.com. That's I-M-A, Coconut.com. Tell them the Original Gamer Stevie Stroh sent you. Coco forever, people. Switcheroo. Use your cocoa with a modern display. Go from RGB to composite with just the flip of a switch. Coco3scartcable.com Hi, this is Antonio Jimenez, author of such projects such as the Stevie Throw Devil and the SD Pack. And you are watching Coco Talk. In three, two, go. All right, well, we are back from our commercial break. We are getting ready to go into what has always been Nick Morota's favorite part of the show. It's now Ken Waters' favorite part of the show, but we're going to get into the Game On challenge and results. I don't think we have a Game On-specific Coco Thoughts, so we will dig deep into the uh, archive of Coco Thoughts, and we'll play, uh, we'll play one of... Uh, a procured one. Uh, Ken, anything you want to do to set up what this week was all about? Maybe Sloopy, too, to talk about what we did these past two weeks, actually, since we didn't have a Coco Talk last weekend? Well, we, uh, yeah, we just, uh, we played two games in the uh, last two weeks. We played Lunchtime and a text adventure, Calixto Island. All right. So, um, and we'll find out how that participation went. And Sloopy, yeah. you did a live midweek um play along this week too right sloop yes i did it uh, both weeks last week and this week okay thank you for doing that and all right so we're going to go ahead and cue the uh the coco thoughts and then we'll get into the results and we'll see how all that went daddy burrito how you doing we met daddy burrito in person at coco fest this year all right here we go let's get a little best of uh coco thoughts and then we'll get into the results and now Coco Thoughts by Samuel Gimes. I know there was life before the Coco SDC, but there was also life before indoor plumbing, modern dentistry, and antibiotics. High score challenge with Nick Marotta. Welcome everyone to the results of the game on challenge for the last two weeks, where we played two games. We played Calixto Island and Lunchtime. 
there were a total of nine players. And playing Calixto Island, we had Buck Owens. Canadian Retro Things. David Craker. Mikey. And Mr. Dave 6309. And in lunchtime, we had Mikey with a score of 1625. Rondelvo 2025. Ooh, Rondelvo got into this, huh? Mr. Dave 6309, 16,100. David Craker, 18,025. Canadian Retro Things, 19,350. Tasman Scott Cooper, 20,975. Jim Rye, 36,600. Buck Owens, 207,750. And the number one score this week, rolling the scoreboard over with a score of 1,105,675 was Brian Walsh. Thanks to everybody that played in the last two weeks, and we will see you next weekend. Wow, one million One million points. points. Wow. Yep. Sloopy pointed out that he played too, but I don't know, did he not make the list? Or did he oh, not I didn't turn see his screenshot? score on the... Did you so, not put a score up, Sloopy? Or? Um, I don't know if I uh, posted on posted the video for Calixto Island, but it's, yeah. I'm pretty oh. sure I did on the uh, thing. On the... Uh, um, lunchtime. Yeah, lunchtime. Oh, I missed that. I am so sorry. I will go look and see if I should be shot or if we have to beat you with a wet noodle. Mm, I would just I would just fire the guy that's, you know, running the making those videos for the uh scores. So <laughs> Yeah. Right. Well yeah, we, we know Sloopy played because he watched him live stream twice. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I call for of, a full investigation. Yeah, because I uh lost my Invisi clues when I played this week. And I had to fumble through it. I had uh, Invisi Clues, Curtis edition. Mm -hmm. And here is some uh, footage from. Uh, oh, on, let's see. Uh, this is from Buck Owens. On expert level, huh? Yeah. So uh, apparently, I mean, I didn't get a lot of time to play it. And obviously, everybody was really busy with Coco Fest. So. Not a lot of people had time to play the games this week, but on this one, as soon as you learn the uh, pattern of the uh, bad guys, it was pretty easy, apparently. So um, that's one of the reasons Buck Owens and... So you kind of lure them all up towards the top and then you spray them. Yeah, right? they, they follow the same pattern all the time. So it's not that hard to be able to lure them to where you want them and get extra points. Mm. I, I like that you can walk right in front of the scores too. That's pretty good use of screen real estate. You know, it's like uh, the scoreboard is part of the background in this case. Yeah. Pretty cool. So did nice, any nice little split screen there too, where you see the capture and the actual system running. Right? <laughs> yeah. That's, that's Buck's setup. It's a pretty cool one. And uh, apparently uh, it's quite different, this one, compared to the uh, actual uh, arcade game is you can get a lot of uh, peppers because you get a free pepper every time you get the uh, whatever the condiment is that comes up. And uh, 
Yeah, and you that's can like just your walk, weapon. Yeah, you can and you can walk around the screen and just fill your peppers up. Whereas in the real game, I think you can only get one extra one per level or something like that. But yeah, I don't remember you being able to stockpile too many. And uh, in case anybody doesn't know, this is burger time. <laughs> well, it's lunchtime. <laughs> I think that's where Ron Delvaux played it. I thought he was re- getting real lunch and he just didn't realize it was a game. So. <laughs> Are we talking about the restaurant at Coco Fest again? Yeah, right. <laughs> this is this was actually kind of cool too because this was not the regular Atomics line. This was part of their cheap line, where they drop the price of their games five to ten bucks. So they had a, a you know in the mid eighties, a little bit later on, they had this kind of a split, and they used to have separate ads with a page of the cheaper games and then the regular the big ones like sailor man and donkey king so this yeah. was actually a fairly affordable one at the time bargain basement games huh well yeah i, I don't know what the exactly what the criteria was because i mean they had some games in there that i wouldn't call bargain basement like color car action which is one of bump and jump is one of those yeah. as well blackbeard's island by uh glenn miller of course you know did more utility stuff and graphics editing stuff like color max and color max 3 deluxe and stuff and I mean, this was a very nice looking game. Yeah. Uh, apparently, yeah. apparently not terribly challenging is uh, once you figured it out. And well, of course, if it's us mortals, it is. <laughs> and the expert level isn't all that much harder than the beginner level, apparently. So good stuff. Um, Looks good. Yeah. And then um, we also played, tried a text adventure with Calixto Island this week. I don't have any game footage of that, but. Uh, if you want to see that, Sloopy's got a couple of good live streams that have lots of gameplay footage. Yeah, so. I didn't load up any of the live, live streams. Sorry, Sloopy. I was kind of rushed this morning getting everything ready. So, um, But yeah, it was a bit of an experiment trying out the, uh, the um, text adventure. So I don't know. Yeah. What did and it's think? not a strict text adventure. It's a text adventure with graphics. It's kind yeah. of Sands of Egypt type thing. Uh, I will mention, though, for the history buffs there, Calixto Island and, and Black Sanctum, which is kind of a sister one by the same person from our data products, they originally came out in 1981 on the Coco as pure text games for 16K machines, and then they upgraded to the graphic ones, 32K, a couple years later. But that was actually not the first place those appeared either. Those originally appeared on earlier 6800 and 6809 systems, even before the Coco. So they're, they've got a bit of history there. And later on, they got ported to PC-DOS, too. Yep, yeah. yep. Yeah. Yeah, the whole line that uh, uh, Stephen Nodia and, and was it Bob Withers, I think, are the two that did a lot of the later ones. Now, the original text versions of Black Sanctum and Clicks to Island were not done by that pair. They were done by, I can't remember who it was, Rob, was it Rob mm. Shaw? One of the other guys at Mark Data. But they converted them over to the graphics one, and then they converted all of them, including their own like shenanigans and Vortex Factor and all that kind of stuff over to uh, the PC. And I honestly, the Cocoa version with the artifacting colors, I think, looked a little bit better. I mean, they had CJ, slightly high res, but they had that god-awful CJ color set oh they're kind of uh magenta past, cyan black and white type stuff yeah, yeah. it's like our, our worst p mode 3 combined with black and white basically. right because because you didn't have the ntsc kind of blurring of colors you could create those yeah. pseudo colors with the dithers and whatnot and you can get like six to eight colors on, a, on yeah and these really did good good advantage of that like when you're cutting through the jungle there's like you know like there's shades of greenish and bluish right. and stuff there they did really good job on the artifact so this must so be our, our, our winner here b rye fpv says it took eight hours to get the million points you can lure bad guys into endless loops and take a break so is that kind of like the pac-man thing where you can stick in a corner and they'll just keep circling around you and not find you i believe that is what he said on the stream didn't he or 
Okay. I can't remember now. Or maybe in the chat or the Discord. Yeah, channel. and when but... you do the endless loops, you can keep picking up points by uh, getting the um the, the salt checkers. The, the, the salt checker, the ketchup bottle or whatever, and yeah. then you also get an extra pepper every time you do that. And so it's a, you can rack up points that way. Cool. So do we have a tips and tricks or is it the game was so easy you don't need them or <laughs> what about tips on the adventure? Um I I didn't get a lot of chance to play it this week, but uh, I was just wondering how other people liked having the text adventure in there. Um, I wish I'd had time to play because, I mean, I did yeah. win it back in the old text version days, and then I won it again when it was the graphic version back in the day, so I kind of remember most of it. But the one nice thing about the two games, Clicks to Win Black Sanctum, is that they were good beginner ones. They Their puzzles were fairly logical. Like some games get completely out there and you have no idea what the heck you're supposed to do, but these actually make a bit of sense. It's just discovering the vocabulary you need for certain things. But uh, they're, they're, they're the type of the ones where you can explore and you might end up dying because you, you know, for example, getting up the hill, you might drop your boots off because you need to pick something else up and then you forget you need that to get up and down the hill without dying. Otherwise, you fall off a cliff type thing. So once you kind of learn it, it's not a very large game um, and it's very winnable within a couple of hours if you, if you kind of, you know, pester at it type thing like i saw sloopy even when i wasn't helping him was able to advance you know and he'd figure out oh i, I shouldn't have done this i should have did this instead and then he'd go back and then he'd get further and that's what you want in adventure game you don't want to get eternally frustrated that you know no matter what you try you're always dying in the same spot you want to be able to progress and these are very good beginner adventure games for that kind of thing so i was just going to ask uh sloopy how how was the conversations in the live stream how did that go um it went pretty well um we had uh up to four people playing at once um and everyone was like oh my god i'm not going to get a million points because by the time the show aired <laughs> a million points had been already achieved wow um yeah there was i've i have i was never really good at at text adventures and i had quite a few especially the infocom ones the only one I've ever uh, actually completed was um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And um, when playing Calixto Island, it, it seemed logical, but it was a lot easier when I had the uh, InvisiClues helping me in the uh, text chat, um, also known as Curtis. Uh, I did get uh, further. I finally figured out what needed to be done to actually complete the game. I just never did complete the game because when I'd go through to redo it to actually complete it, because I kept dying. Um, there's probably a uh, pile of bodies on Calixto Island that's <laughs> that I caused. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean overall the uh, the games were uh, were were well received, and very positive opinions of them. Uh, even though the the general consensus on lunchtime was that it was pretty easy. Mm -hmm. But um, having both, especially over the two-week period, was good. Um, but even for the one-week period, I think having two games, one, one like arcade tech game and one uh, um, like adventure game where it's not so much a score is, is a good idea. I think Tim Gilberts would agree with you. He said, shame I missed the adventure week, so we need to do it again. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I do have plans for that. Yeah. 60 uh, says, I didn't play this week, but it seemed to recall a bit of having to figure out what to swap in the shop, which is true. I saw Sleepy going through that himself. 
And yep. Tom Eric Gunnison, Black Sanctum, which is the sister game of uh, this one, uh, is the only text adventure I ever completed on the Dragon back in the day. Yep. Um, also, can I share my screen here real quick? Sure. Uh, Let me stop spotlighting uh, CRT. Go ahead. There it is. Share. All right. Yep, I did play lunchtime. See, my score twenty seven two seventy five. Okay. Well, you got to put it in Discord there. But, Go ahead. But I I will give you a pass because <laughs> I forgot to put it in the Discord. <laughs> um. Yeah. And here I'm playing uh, the Clicks Island, and then eventually we got. I can't find the exact when four people were playing, but here we had Chip Monkey, Jim Rye, um, Sloopy, me, and okay. uh, also uh, uh, Exile in the Basement played too for a short period. But for most part, it was pretty popular. Here is, um, oh, good Lord, I don't remember who this was. Yeah, but I was using the online version of Expert. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm. I do believe this was. Uh, yes, that was Chip Monkey that was playing the online because he was having issues with it. I guess that's a good reason to get a Windows instead of a Mac. <laughs> and uh, yes, Blue Burgers. That's probably why he was having problems. He was <laughs> yeah, that was the old Moldy Burger edition there. So. <laughs> <laughs> Penicillin. Uh, yep. All right. And uh, this week it was, <laughs> there was even fewer participants, but they, we still had a few. Um, Everybody was still recovering from Coco Fest. Yeah. yeah, I think so. I was busy so, with work. That's why I didn't do anything this week. Me too, unfortunately. Cool. Yeah, I was uh, hang, uh, nursing a hangover from uh, a 19 hour drive. <laughs> Jet lag, right? Drive lag. Yeah. Um, well, well, on the way home, there was a uh, dead stop in a parking lot in the middle of Ohio, and I had to sit and, and uh, chillax in the middle of a 70-mile-an-hour highway doing zero miles an hour. So, All right. Well, what's the game next week, okay, Mr. Well, Things? Let's see if anybody recognizes this. No, I, I don't. do not. It looks like a minor 2049er type game. That Honky it bonk. is. But is that on the Coco? Yeah. Coco 3, it looks like. It's the Coco okay. 3, so let's see. Um, oops, Share, <clears throat> and here is the title screen. Revenge of oh, the Mutant Miners. Yep. Oh, is this, uh, is this uh, for uh, RS-DOS or is it an OS9 game? RS-DOS. Is it? Yeah, it's uh, for the Coco 3. Um, it's in the... Uh, usual uh, places? Yeah, usual places. Okay. That's... Yep, yep I right. have it I have it in my usual place. All right, that's cool. So it's I, a, li yeah, I it's like a minor 2049. That was a it's a minor 2049-er. Yeah. Um, someone really missed a naming clone? thing on this. It could have made it like minor 6809-er. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah. <laughs> minor 6309-er could be go. the... Uh, upgraded version yeah. okay this is one i've not played well or much i i do have it i have played it before i don't even think do i have an entry on the site for this one yet ken nope yeah 
That's one of the one, one of the six hundred and some odd I'm behind on. Um, there is uh, settings to start it at. I'll post those in Discord. But uh, yeah, so it's a fun. If you like Minor Twenty Forty Nine er, then you should enjoy this okay. game. Okay, I am gonna make an asserted effort to be able to play this game this week and join in the community spirit of this. Good stuff. And just let, like I said, though, it is for Coco Three only. So. Coco but that now works with XR Online. That now yeah, works it, DCC, XR Online. Um, Main. Regular XR if you get the current beta. Coco Pie. Yeah. TTL, RS232. Um, cool. We're turning into the David Ledge. Yes. Oh, my. Uh, so what is next now? We have game news. We I know we have a, we have a Mr. Dave sighting. That yeah, Mr. Dave. Mr. Dave will actually be the first story on the game on news. So, so are you going to do the news first, or are you going to let Mr. Dave take it away? I think we can let Mr. Dave take it away. I might share um, the screen to show what uh, he's going to be talking about. But uh... Mr. Dave, how would you like us to proceed? Yeah, um, go ahead and let Curtis. Uh... Show us what we're talking about. Show us what we're talking about, Curtis. What are we talking about? Okay. Oh, actually, before we... No, no, I'll wait till the regular news. Okay, okay, I'll go ahead and... Uh... L. Curtis Boyle is showing off something here. Oh, my. So the Kickstarter. So you want to explain the Kickstarter and, and what you get and all that kind of stuff here, and then I'll play the video a little bit later here after Dave kind of sums this up. Yeah, okay. Well, I launched a uh, Kickstarter for my game to see what kind of uh, interest we have in it. And um, I think it's like $12 or something to get a basic digital copy. Uh, a little bit more, you're going to get it on SD card, and uh, you can get your name in the credits too for being a supporter. Um, what can I say? Well, maybe we'll let um, Curtis roll the clip, and okay. uh, then we can have a better idea of what we're looking at. Space Pirate Kimiko. Now, this music's not in the game, right? This is background music? No, it's it, in the game. This is in the game, okay. Yep. Is it loud enough for everybody, or should I turn it? You can turn it up a little bit. Yeah, I composed all the music uh, for the game. We're working on it. Kind of a rescue and practice look there. Yeah. What are you using to generate the sound? Sounds very amazing. I'm using... Oh, that was played on a uh, Korg. That's digitized sound effects you have. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah. Now, does this music play in the game too, or is this background music for the video? No, all the music plays in the game. Does that require additional hardware, I'm presuming? Yeah, well, there was a lot of stuff I wanted to get in my game, and I really wanted this game to be the way I wanted it. So I went with VCC. It's programmed for the Coco 3, but it's not going to run on standard Coco 3 machine yet. So I'm using the uh, VCC and the Becker port to control wave sound, MP3. Also, as it currently stands, this will not run real hard. No, not yet. 
Well, it would, but it's going to be slow and you won't have the sound effects that you're, you're having here yet. First, I want to see what I can make as a game, and then okay. I'll get it to, to run well. Because it, it takes a lot of magic to get the sound effects right on the, on the Coco 3. But it, it's written on, uh, I use Edtasm Plus, written for 6309 for the Coco 3. Sound effects for the sound of the track is pretty damn good. Yeah, thanks. So, is this got a hardware support for the sound, or how, how are you playing the sound, the music? I'm using the um, Becker port on VCC to send oh, commands. Of course, yeah, yeah. yeah. So is your eventual plan to support one of the, the sound cards or MIDI or something like that or to get it running on real Yeah, okay. Well, you know, I, I'm working on another cart for my casino game that I'm making. Mm -hmm. And now from working on this and having my, my sprite engine, we'll call it, and graphics engine, um, I'm drawing up some plans to make a game cart that's going to be a graphics accelerator and sound generator for the Coco. So you'll be able to have these kind of graphics and speed, even from basic. I'm gonna have a graphics coprocessor on a card that can blit and prepare all the data right to RAM, and then the Coco can read it and have it, it'll be already buffered for it, and have smooth graphics without the complications of learning assembly, um, or trying to get the graphics into the game. I'm going to streamline a system. And these kind of games, you'll be able to run a uh, program your own from basic if all goes well. OK, so this is like a kind of a competitor to that uh, Super Sprite FM Plus board that uh, John, yeah. the, the, the Dragon people have done, which is basically putting an MSX sprite chip and sound chip into a card. Well, it's, it's different. I mean, that they're using the video card from an MSX computer or TI, whatever and you're, you're running on a different monitor. This is going to be using the Coco VGG, so for the Coco 1, 2, and Coco 3. But um, wh when you're busy calculating all your stuff in the game and changing and moving all your sprites around, you're taking up so much time that the graphics are going to start to flicker and, and really start to slow down on the machine. Now, I did get this to work on Coco 3, including the large asteroids, but we're getting a little bit slower, starting to encounter flicker, and now I want to have the music as well. So I think the way around this is to have my own graphics card, and it's just going to do all the calculations like sprite collision, sprite motion, uh, redrawing. It Masking should be able and all to that have, kind of stuff will be handled in hardware then. Yeah, including... Uh, parallax scrolling so that will be something new for the coco one and two that you'll be able to run bitmap graphics with parallax scrolling it, it should pretty much uh, boost the coco up to a you know past nintendo wow 
Now, is it, does it still use the, the like the VDG or the Gimme then to generate the graphics? You're just kind of pre-rendering and then you just copy it to the screen directly. Is that how you're working, or is it a totally separate? Piece? It's going to use the the Gimme and the standard graphics, but it, it's just going to get its RAM video RAM from the cartridge, and the video RAM will be all prepared. It just has to display it, and we shouldn't have any kind of flicker or slowdown. I'm going to use a high-speed processor in the cart, and I will use it not just for this game, but like I said, that people can write their own games. Um, so, it, so your video buffer is going to be off of the cart, basically, wherever yes. it's mapped in. Okay. Yeah. So, so it'll just present the screens or whatever, and then you just display them. Hmm. Yeah, you'll have a simple screen, and it'll be easy to just access that from the the Coco. The the data will be there. The Coco has no trouble displaying a full bitmap picture, and that's what it's going to be presenting it. But calculated as, um, you know, all the motion, collision detection, all this stuff is going to be handled off the cart at high speed. Yeah. And, and the then also the sound as well, ready. like the complicated sound effects you're using. Yeah. yeah. It's just not all of us are, are Simon and <laughs> can do these complicated <laughs> sounds and trying to get, you know, uh, background music and stuff like that. I know Nick Morentes knows us that he gives his card. He's going to have MP3s as well. So I want it that you can just load your, your wave files on the card, and then you'll just be able to say, OK, play this wave, uh, play this MP3 right from basic, um, you know, erase this sprite. Very, um, it's basically going to be the engine that I wrote for this game. But now I'm going to put but now it, offload on a it onto a hardware accelerator, basically. Yeah. So now, probably by June, so this first version of the game, um, and I hope people will support me on it and back me up because it's going to have a lot of adventure, comedy, shooting, battles, whatever. It's going to be basically Wing Commander meets Asteroids meets, you know, whatever you want. Wow. Ambitious. Yes, ambitious. That's why I need some. I need some support. I need some love from the community to show me that you guys are behind me on this. And when this goes well, I'm going to put this engine on the cart, and uh, it could be a game changer for. Yeah, yeah. And this is an games. interesting approach because, and I don't see anything wrong with this. Is where you want to develop something, but you do have to spend time on the research and development and the coding and everything else and. Um, if people are interested in this project, this is literally a way to put your money where your mouth is saying, yes, I, I like this. I will buy it when it's done. So it's kind of like a pre-order. I want to go ahead and pre-order this. And that way that's giving you some incentive and some motivation to actually continue to work on it and, and do the other things like designing your engines and your hardware and all that kind of stuff. It's, that's pretty cool. So the game yeah. will, you can run the game without the hardware, but it'll run much better if you have it. And the hardware is generic, so somebody else could write a game and use that same hardware for their game. Yeah, well, right now, the game, uh, so if you support me on Kickstarter and you get your copy of the game, um, you know, you can have a digital copy or a SD card, you know, depending on the level, booklet, all that stuff. Um, it's going to run on VCC, and it's going to come with the VCC all set up with the Becker port to give you all, all the sounds, all the music, all the high-speed graphics. Um, it is completely written in EdTasm for the Coco 3. 
So there's some things I would have to change, like timing delays that are, are meant for the high speed. Um, there's some things it could run on Cocoa, but I mean, we're not going to have the sound effects because, like I said, it was very easy for me to use the Becker port and say, okay, play me laser. You know, right. Give me sound one. Give me sound two. And then I just get my lasers and gunshots and explosions. So much easier than than trying to program that on a cocoa. And I, I really respect the people who have done it. That's it's not easy. You know, we know from the Joe's port that just the sound effects took up so much of the memory. Yeah, the digitized sound effects, and then also a lot of the CPU time too. So, yeah. And this game is running from a hard drive image. So I'm loading up pages and pages and pages of graphics, just like legging fast into the two megabyte of the Coco 3. Wow. So, yeah, it's it's pretty. But when I have the game engine, you, you won't need a two megabyte Coco 3. It'll, it'll have its... Right. So you're basically running this on a virtual Super Coco for the time being until the hardware can yeah. be finalized. That's cool. Yeah, it's, it's still I a Coco game. And, yeah, it's a Coco game, and it's written for, you know, virtual Coco. So I would not consider this a distortion of the hobby. I would say this is just a, um, this is an ambitious way of, of, you know, doing something a little bit more than you could currently do on bare metal. So that's, it's, uh, you're not it's, modifying it's, the Coco itself. You're not modifying. Yeah. The you're just adding a card, just like the, the super yeah. board. Yeah. Well, I mean, the bottom line here is, uh, I was making a game and I started on Coco three, but I wanted what I wanted. Oh, you just got a new backer. I didn't want to, uh, I didn't want to hold back. Oh, that's great. But I really do think that, um, I want, I have time off this winter, so I'm going to work on the, the card that I already started. Um, so I'm going to work on that graphics card and this could be a game changer for people who want to write a game. And I mean, there's only a few of us really who can do these kind of graphics on the Coco. Uh, we saw uh, Paul Fiscarelli uh, doing it, Paul Thayer, Nick Brantis, obviously, you know, is beyond us. But uh, I'll be able to give these kind of sprites for people, and you'll be able to run it from basic. That's cool. Very easily. You're giving some powerful tools to mere mortals at this point. Yeah. I hope so. Yeah. That's cool. Okay. That's very so any, any basically people that are interested in supporting the project should go hit the Kickstarter page and kick in some money. With, um, the news links in the channel on our Discord uh, will have the direct link to the Kickstarter as well as you can capture from the screen capture here. And uh, please go support Dave and his endeavors. It looks like a really interesting hardware software hybrid project. And then the hardware can be reused for your own stuff later on or other you know, other developers. Yeah. Are there any other questions? From... Any questions from Mr. Dave? Any questions in the chat? I have a question for you, Mr. Dave. Yeah. When are we going to get to virtually meet uh, Mrs. Dave? <laughs> <laughs> we know you're half of Dave and Sharon, but we've never seen or met Sharon. Is she camera shy? Some of us, some of us have. Oh, have they? Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, I think Alan Murphy, Mark Overholzer, has talked uh, talk to her. Uh, you know what? I want to thank uh, Alan Murphy for he really helped me learn how to get graphics on the Coco 3 because that's not easy going from zero to this level. Um, you know, I mean, we all did a little bit on the Coco, you know, doing some semi graphics or doing a few P sets, 
But to get this level of graphics working on the Coco, uh, Alan really opened up the doors for me, uh, you know, got me through the ignorance of using Toolshed, like, well, how do I turn something from the real world into Coco? It, not, it wasn't easy back then. Things right. are advancing quickly. Anyway. Yeah, because you've also had to learn like how MMU works and palette registers and hardware yeah. scrolling and et cetera, et cetera. So. Oh, and I had a lot of help from uh, Curtis, uh, Lost Wizard, of course. You know, every time you're making a mistake, he's there to, to set you back, you know, on the right course and uh, and a few others. So I got to say, Discord I, has been a big help. Um, and I would agree with you. The community is great when it comes to that part, too. But I'm just looking at the screenshot here on the Kickstarter page. This This palette set here is very kind of neon but not in a bad way this is not like the puyan palette this is some colors <laughs> you typically don't see in a space game but i like what i'm seeing here i'm seeing some of the um kind of you know the the oranges and the pinkish purples and the, and the kind of lavender colors these are some really interesting neon-esque colors that are not typical but somehow make perfect sense in in this setting here you know so. Yeah, I'm, I'm not fighting it. You know, I'm not fighting the Coco and saying, give me, the Coco has a weird palette. Yeah. <laughs> no doubt about it. You know what? And I'm embracing it. Yeah. You want to turn the girl green? Go ahead. I don't mind green girls. Let's go with it. Yeah, neither did oh, James Kirk. So, no. Yeah. <laughs> fellow, fellow Montrealer James Kirk, it was yeah. good enough for him. So. Yeah, I don't even, to be honest, I don't even find it that weird. It's just that it's, it's limited to 64 colors. If you're used to EGA back in the day, it's the exact same palette. And it's basically a toned down version. You know, of the just the thing for me was when we, whenever we took a game that we were trying to palette hack, like taking a P mode three game to palette hack to make it look yeah. a little bit better. When you look at all sixty four colors and you just look at them on a color chart, it's hard to envision how would I use this color. This is a weird color. Of all the sixty four colors I could have got, I wish you'd gave me sixty four better ones than this. But it's just that's not how the RGB cookie crumbles. You know, you got so many bits for red, green, and blue, and those are the shades you get. And yeah. when you look at them on, if you're looking at like a color swath chart, some of the options are not ones that you would maybe jump out and grab and say yeah i want to use this weird pinkish purple color here but um when you look at it here on this screen here it's like man this is kind of cool this is not what you usually see and and i like it i like i like the different here yeah. you know the one, one one really nice effect that i commented when you first started putting up videos of this is when you did flying through the nebula and then you started changing the palette so that yeah, the nebula is kind of like pulsing and stuff, yeah reminding me of like star trek to the wrath of Khan type thing it looked really awesome yeah yeah, the, the palette shifting now, I, I've done some research and stuff, you know, and and it, it's really interesting, the whole palette shifting. Like, people have a scene with rain or snow. Well, they pre-draw all the snow, mm -hmm. and they just turn it to the background color. Yeah. yeah. And then they use the palette shifting to make it appear all of a sudden. So you can make really fast, um, fast-looking graphics. Because With zero CPU time, just about right, yeah. right, right. Yeah, you can, yeah, you can right. simulate waterfalls and all kinds of stuff. You know? mm -hmm. Yeah, right. some some of the graphic editors like Coco Max Three and Color Max Three and Color Max Three Deluxe actually support that type of animation right in there, and you can actually test it while you're drawing a picture. And you can see like your animation, of, you know, lightning bolts right. that move or whatever. Yeah. And a lot of the Amiga demos were heavy into that, and um... RSD demos as well because they did the same thing. They just had one extra bit per color, so they had more colors to choose from. Yeah. That's a really cool project. We actually got a, an additional supporter while we were doing the show live here, so that's good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll do mine off air, but yeah. Definitely put me down for one there, Mr. Dave. 
Yeah, and thanks, Mr. Dave, for popping by and helping explain the project and what all's what all your long-term plans are. Um, well, you know, know I, I mean, really, the community inspired me. You know, uh, Stevie getting me on the show and you know giving me a lot of uh, moral support and you know it's like, hey, you know, this is good. And I mean, it really, it, it really brings the community together and encourages people. Like, okay, what what's the best I can do? Let let's see. You know. Because if I was doing this just sitting here in my living room alone, you know, it kind of it's fun, but it's but now I got a community to show it to, and uh, we're gonna enjoy it with me. So I appreciate that. No, yeah. well, we appreciate you, man. So this is cool yeah. stuff. And thanks for somebody to show it off here. I, I wouldn't oh, have known all these details just showing it blind. My pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Cool. So go out and support them, guys. That was the video there. Very cool looking. Yeah. And then next up, since Ken's actually kind of the host of the game segment here, you did one here, which all mutants start playing in the background. If you want to explain what it is, and this is uh, some of those interactive books, I believe. Ah, uh, yes. Um, I got a donation of uh, some of the uh, micro adventure books, which are very dear to me from my childhood. Um, they basically are books where they're adventure books where you're a spy but while you're uh, reading them they have uh, programs within them that you have to type into your uh, computer to uh, do different things in the books like uh, decode messages and try to figure out how to change basic it's all basic mm -hmm. and you try to figure out how to change the basic programs to uh, um, to uh, do different things like escape from a room how to change the program so that the door will open or so yeah some of my earliest uh basic programming learning learning was through these books and these are cost platform like you can see here, i'll just pause this back cover here you can yeah. see the programs are running basic on the pc the pc junior the apple 2 plus the 2e commodore 64 vic 20 ti 99 Atari 400 800 radio shack tier city level two or greater and the radio shack color computer so they were you know, massively cross-platform. Yeah, so each program is listed in the book, and then it'll tell you which computers that'll run on. But then if you go into the back of the book, it'll tell you what changes you have to make in the program to make it run on these other computers. So, uh, yeah, you can also see what the differences are between the basics of uh, various computers. And how many books did they make like this? Like, there was a few series from what I understood from your video. Yeah, there was... 10 books in this series and then there was also one that was aimed at uh younger children that i never did read but there's four books in that one so these are all printed about the mid 1980s that's neat it's kind of like an augmented reality when you think about it you, you got yeah. one form of media which is the book and you, now you have to add the computer and the human element and put all the pieces and then together. they sneak in that you're learning basic as you're typing it yeah in. right exactly <laughs> and it's actually very good because the uh, back of the book it explains it goes through each program how it's working what the statements mean and everything like that so you yeah you no, nothing wrong it's a fun fun way knowledge. to learn yeah cool i wonder i wonder if this could be one of the game on challenges secondary games if we do the two at once type thing this might be an interesting one if, like are some of these books scanned in anywhere that people could grab them to take a look at? Um, i think there is a couple of them on the archive I'm not sure though. 
that might be an interesting one to do where people can actually do the whole interactive trying to win the game and, and typing in the programs. Well, they're not all that uh, advanced. Like, I mean, most of the programs are only about 10, 15 lines long. So. Yeah, which would be good. I mean, if you're trying to do like somebody's doing a live stream with people playing this, you don't want something where you have to type in like a 15 page rainbow thing. Because true, if you sit there trying to debug it and figure out what you typed in wrong. But there is also quite a bit of a novel to read. Well, I mean, not. Oh, I guess that's true too. Yeah, yeah. To... Like it's there's you know five to eight programs in it, and it's about 110, 120 page novel. So. Uh, okay. More like a choose your own adventure style. Yeah, kind of more along the lines of choose your own adventure. And I mean, you don't actually even have to do the programs. You can just read ahead. It's just more fun to do the programs. And you feel like you're interacting with it to a degree. So yeah, and then I uh, I showed it on, I did one of the programs from one of the books on my uh, Coco 3. And then I did another one on my Vic 20, just to kind of oh, show the difference. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Like I, I remember seeing these books, but by that time I'd already learned how to program, and I was kind of beyond the the, the more children level book at that point. And yes, so I never did actually fast, get one or try it. So this is actually kind of interesting. I, I didn't really know what exactly was involved. I can type that fast, really. I can. I did a great job. <laughs> I didn't speed no. it up. So yeah, this is just one of the the short program at the beginning that uh, decodes messages. And I mentioned how when we were kids. We took this program apart and then figured out how to code and decode messages and send them back and forth so that we could have our own little secret codes to send amongst our friends there. You pass notes in class, teacher would have a clue what they were reading. Yeah, but none of us had access to the, except that we'd have to go over to the computer at the front of the classroom and Jeremy, don't mind me typing this in. Jeremy Landry says, to participate in the Game On Challenge, turn to page 23. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, to be honest, I love the Choose Your Own Venture books when they first yeah. came out. I, I read every single one as it came out. They got Some of them got pretty stupid yeah, later on. But. Manny says, we're going to have our reading club on Tuesdays. Right? So, <laughs> and we're going to have a whole week of Coco yeah. content here at the right yeah. Cool. All right. What's next? So this is a rather interesting one. So Erico put up this little animation. It's designed originally for a Pico 8, which has a very small screen, 16 by 16 multicolor. But he kind of did this really small 16 by 16 Sonic the Hedgehog demo. And he said this would be pretty good to do on a semi-graphics mode on a Coco, which actually would give you a bit more res. You wouldn't want to use the, uh, the sub-pixel thing in your characters because then you only have black and one color, right? But if you made a 32 by 16 with every full block, you could make this basically twice the horizontal res of this and then animate something like this at full throttle because you're only moving 512 bytes around. You're talking about the speed of trying to do an arcade game. And I've never seen somebody try to render a game like Sonic on such a low res, and it actually is recognizable and looks yeah. fun. Yeah, it is. It looks good. So that, that's a, a promising because you could make a pretty decent game on a Coco 1 or 2 because this takes so little video RAM, half a K page flip you got 1k you know and then you've got lots of room and you've got nine or ten colors depending on which color set you pick. You can and expect a game from jim geary in three two <laughs> one <laughs> <laughs> but yeah if you wrote a something in machine language you could have like full scrolling and like they got kind of the scrolling here along with the background the static and stuff but you could do some pretty interesting stuff which i'd never really thought of doing so kind of intrigued i'm not going to do anything myself because i got too many other projects going mm -hmm. on but uh some of you budding ML programmers or even some basic programmers with a little bit of ML help might prove to be quite interesting and quite colorful. And next up, uh, you guys actually got to see this on the on the stream during the 
the game developers uh, seminar at Coco Fest here. So this was Paul Fiscarelli did the basically the entire intro sequence, animation, music, the whole bit of uh, Prince of Persia, which has just got a release on the Atari 8-bits actually uh, last month in October. And uh, I, I haven't really talked to Paul too much. I don't know if he's planning on continuing this on. I sure hope he does because he's done an awesome job. He's actually converting it from the VGA version of the game. Now, he did mention the palettes in the game itself are enough different. The intro worked quite well with the Coco Palette, but you have to do some mucking around with the uh, resources there. But uh, he's actually got the full video of it up here. It takes a full 512K. And then uh, a little bit later in the week, he then posted up the disc image. So if you guys want to try it, and this always confuses me. He called it Poppy, so I keep thinking it's Prince Pop Star every time yeah, I right, see it. But, yeah. but it stands for Prince of Persia. So if you guys want to give it a try, either on an emulator or on a 512K real Coco 3, 512K or higher, it, it should work fine on there. And it's a very impressive demo for those of you who didn't catch it during the game thing. I was uh, blown away. Yeah, it was pretty impressive. Kind of put Nick to shape. No, I'm just kidding. Actually, Nick's stuff is awesome, too. So, Which we'll be getting to shortly. Okay, cool. Yeah, that was really good, yep. Paul Fiscarelli. Good job. Yeah. So the, the video and the download are both on Facebook. I'm assuming he'll probably upload it to the archive a little bit later on, too. So. And then uh, also part of the game developer, um, what was your what was the exact name of the thing, Nick? One that you three took. It was something like "Living on? the Dream of a Coco Game Developer," something to that. And then is yeah. Nick here? Nick, Nick's uh, falling asleep. Uh, yeah, again. living oh, living there. the dream as a Coco game programmer. Okay, because there was Nick. a really good presentation with three active game developers, including yeah, yourself. Yeah. Here, so, so Paul actually uploaded the entire slides to his. If you want to take a look at a PDF version of the slides that he showed for his going through development tools, etc., that's now available on Facebook as well. Yeah, that was the best uh, presentation for Saturday. Beats yours, Curtis. Yeah, the views <laughs> tell you differently there, Grant. Sorry, uh, the people have spoken. Uh, <laughs> it was really good, though. I have to say, it was. I'm wicked. just surprised with Ken and me doing being the lead in there that you know it actually worked at all. <laughs> so. Oh, big thanks to Ken Waters too. Uh, he actually he actually handled most of the Nitrous Nine presentations. So yeah, good stuff. I just kind of rode in his coattails, and it went really well. And then the third part of the uh, game thing was talking about you know Nick and and his development of games, and then by coincidence, of course, he brought up the latest chapter on Zero Hour. So Nick, do you want to kind of give a quick rundown here while I scroll down and show some of the screenshots? Uh, yeah. Well, it's just my usual update to show my progress. So I'm still just going through level by level, building each level, um, because every level, well, most of the levels are little mini games in themselves, which, uh, so you're not writing just the one program, you're writing multiple programs. So I'm getting it through it slowly, and this uh, latest blog is another two levels, um, and there's still about another three more to go before all the levels are done. So and there's no video in this blog. I'll probably put a video up next next uh, chapter. But this one introduces um, two levels, the power station and the transporter tubes. The power station's basically got a big electrical machine at the top there, but you've got to cross over uh, a couple of times to get from one side of the screen to the other. There's a few buttons that, that control uh, some of the fire down in the lower part so you've got to dodge the sparks so there's a spark effect that uh, you can see two of the sparks up there but it gives a lightning bolt effect and um, 
just so that as you're walking, you know, when a, a lightning bolt's about to strike, there's a little uh, di a little d display just above it at the very top, which shows... Sort of a charge level. Yeah, it's a charge level. So you sort of have an idea that that particular uh, electrode above you is about to fire. So you've got to keep an eye on that while you're walking across. Not too hard, but it's, it, it looks good. Yeah. Um, and the second level was the transporter tubes, very much inspired by Star Trek. So those blue tubes you see in the four corners, you can you can enter a tube and move to any of the other tubes. And that level, I've tried to design it in such a way that you can't get to certain areas of the screen uh, without going to a transporter tube to to warp you there or whatever it's called it's star trek um to, to beam yourself across so it does that and um as you can see it's in, me up Marentes. In, yeah it, it's in me mid beaming <laughs> mid beaming right now in that photo where you can see it yellow so it flashes in the background and then your body just disappears and reappears in the other other tube that 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 you um were uh targeting uh, so yeah, a bit of a Star Trek influence there. So that's the transporter tubes uh, level. And, and one thing I wanted to mention, and this is one thing I've talked to Nick in private about a few times too, is one really nice thing about the direction that Zero is going. Like this, there's some elements of this that are similar to his older Rupert Rhythm game. But Rupert Rhythm, you had like 16 screens, but it was all just basically diff different layouts. You're doing the same it was thing. Just the layouts, yeah, yeah. Mainly. This one, Nick has been really trying to make every level have something completely unique to its gameplay. So that you're always discovering new things as you're going. Like you've got transporters, you've got you know elevators, you've got a casino, you've got all these different things. So every level is completely unique with some common elements, but there's always that you know discovery of totally new things that you're not expecting, which makes it, I think, a much better game. Yeah, little mini games. It, it's a bit of eye candy. It's it's. I'm not trying to make it a big super duper arcade game. Uh, you know, really fast and hard and all that. It's fairly easy to get through everything I want, I want people to see all the levels you know one of the one of the disappointing things is that you you create a game and you go to all that trouble and you make it hard because you want it to be challenging and a lot of people don't see the higher levels so i thought that's a bit of a waste you know it's a waste of time programming it all when only a handful of people are going to see those higher levels whereas in this game at the very start there's the foyer screen and you choose which door you want to go in so you can go to any of the rooms you can actually see all the different machines right at the start and if you don't like it if it's too hard you can walk back out again and go into a another room so you can yeah. you can do a tour of all the rooms but obviously to complete the game you need to actually complete the the the, the puzzle and collect all the objects that you require uh, in each screen. So you're not going to complete the game just by walking in and out. You've actually got to complete the levels, but at least for people who may not be so so arcade, Buck Owens type, type <laughs> level, you can at least go in there and have a bit of a tour and, and, and have a shot at all the different machines. Yeah, you get to explore um, the entire game, but it's still yeah. difficult enough that for a good player, it's still a challenge. It's a bit of an adventure element into it. Yeah, you're exploring all the different machines. So because I know that was a complaint a lot of people had to go about gun stars. Like most people could make the first two levels. Some could yeah, make the yeah. third, but to make it all the way to the fourth is pretty hard. 
Yeah, and it does get exciting at the end. It's it's quite. I, I, when I play it, I get pretty sweaty at the end of it all. It's pretty. I can only play one game right to the end because I'm so hyped up by the end of it. I thought that's enough. <laughs> but this one's a bit more casual, and it's yeah, a lot of eye candy, a lot of good sounds. It features the voice of David Ladd in there as well. I mean, there's a highlight or a yeah. A, uh, <laughs> Any really? game that has digitized David Ladd is awesome, just by default. <laughs> the next best thing to real David Ladd is digital really? David Ladd. Yeah, so. <laughs> really? I, got, I did want to segue to the side thing, because this is a little side project you did, um, which is now officially released uh, uh, yeah, as a bit well, of a break on Zero. So you want to kind of explain a bit about that? Well, I, th I think I mentioned it last time in that uh, in my usual um, side project thing, I've, I like to do a side project just to get me a... a Away from my current project, because you can you can burn yourself out if you're constantly working on one project. You feel like oh, I'm getting tired of this, you know, and and the thing sort of you, you let it lag a bit. What I do is I say, okay, well, let's start another project altogether, um, and uh, and then I can return to the other one. So my side project was going back to to my roots, the old TRS-80 Model One, which I still have. I still have my original Model One. Uh, and I thought, well, when I started, I thought, wouldn't it be funny if I tried to write another Z80 game uh, 40 years later? And I, I started it, and um, I, I did it all on an emulator uh, on the on the on a PC. And I started it, and I got into the Z80. And yeah, the Z80 is definitely not as good as the 6809. I can tell you that. But I'll just say Z80 for our American Z80 or Z, yeah, whichever wherever you're from um but I, I started remembering what all the z80 um z80 um codes were and uh, it, i was sort of progressing i thought oh well, i'll do a bit more and a bit more and lo and behold i've got the whole game done so it's basically my old waterfall game on the coco which is basically based on the atari 2600 game of um man goes down by uh alex herbert and um, yeah, it's basically it's that that idea. But because I, 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 a lot of people liked Waterfall, uh, so I thought, oh, I'll just do a, a simple game idea that you know people might enjoy on the Model One. Wow, that's they really good. That's really good graphics there for um, for a Z80. Yeah, that's <laughs> the high res mode too. Isn't that awesome? The wow. high res twenty four bit mode of the of the Gem it's a Hunter. Secret mode. Ooh, I no like that title screen, Nick. That looks really good. <laughs> Yeah, that's now that's the real model one. <laughs> that looks good. That looks really In good. Glorious green. I had a green screen monitor on my model one, so I yeah. set up the green. <laughs> Ten points, fifty points. Okay, so the gems are just different sized squares. There, there's four gems that you got to collect. Now so the big one, just... the two hundred point gem, actually floats in the air. It's never on a platform, so you have to catch it on the way down. Yeah, so that's right. So it's not just a matter of jumping platform to platform, so you don't just. Yeah, uh, get knocked off. Oh, you're gonna play the video, okay? You you got you you're not gonna let. You got to make sure your player doesn't get pushed off the top or off the bottom of a level. Um, and uh, in in the meantime, you've also got to collect the gems that appear randomly. It's all very random. Um, but the big gems, the like the one you see there, they don't sit on a platform. They're actually in the air. That the little ones are. But the big ones are floating in the air and sometimes you might look at it and think how the hell am i supposed to get that so part of the skill of the game is being able to jump in the air sort of take a leap of faith 
and then on the way down, can you jump while across? You're... No, you, you can't jump no, side to side. No, you always you can fall down. Fall. You go a bit of a diagonal, but it, yeah. Uh, so you take a jump uh, or a leap of faith, or you purposely wait till your character gets to the very top, and then you jump heading towards those big dots, uh -huh. making sure that you will hit, like, I think you might see it here. Yeah, you, watch this one. Okay, so that jump, way you could see jump, that there was jump. Some... So I got two yeah. big ones that were floating in the air, but you got to make sure, of course, there's a platform <laughs> for you to land, land on, on the bottom. Sometimes just... you don't see the bottom platform and you just got to say, well, right. I'll either die by going off the top, so I will just jump and hail Mary. <laughs> Leap Whatever. of faith. Whatever appears, like there, you know, I jumped there without seeing the bottom. I thought, well, one's going to appear. I just have to be ready to, to steer myself in that direction. <laughs> so it's a fun, simple game. And uh, I, it, I completed it, and I did the usual CD release and download release and all that. Looks and a lot like a couple games are available on the Coco. Yeah, well, it is. It's based. Uh, well, it's very. Yeah, they're all based on the same original Atari Twenty Six Hundred. So. Yeah. Uh, man goes down. And you presented this on the Trash Talk uh, podcast here. Yeah, uh, uh, last, last week, week. Uh, right after the uh, the Coco Fest. Actually, I I logged out of the Coco Fest and went over to the uh, the uh, Trash Talkers, and I had to. And what did uh, they show did off they, there as did well? They, uh, did they like a new entry into the? Uh... Yeah, so I, think, game I think it was received fairly well, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it's not as big a market as the Coco, though. You know, I'm not going to sell as many, but for me it was a challenge. It was a side project, and it was a challenge to see, can I, is there any grey matter that still is intact after 40 years of not programming on a Z80? So happily to say that uh, there is still something there. Yeah. It's not all gone yep. yet. Yeah. <laughs> And it was pretty positive feedback. I was watching, I watched that show too, and, and there was a lot of the people in the panel, a couple had already bought in it, and uh, they were pretty yeah. impressed with it. There was, a, I think, uh, one of the hosts there, wasn't it Peter? Was yeah. Was quite he, good at uh, He beat your score already? Yeah, he plays it really good, actually. Uh, he beats me, yeah. So, but, but yeah, um, for the for those of you that are, are you know, not just Coco Retroist, but, you know, generally cover Retro in general, or you're specific to Tira City and Tandy, there's another, you know, supporting the, uh, the Tandy and Tira City community. Yeah, that's awesome, yeah. Nick. And the 609 is a lot better than the Z80. Right. I can tell you that. <laughs> I was cursing at, at the Z80 many times. <laughs> yeah, Why can't I do that? I, it's a piece of cake on the 6809, but the Z80, nah. <laughs> but why is this so? <laughs> Hey, anyway. you've got the order page up on your site there, so you can actually go order it. You can get the digital download only. Uh, we should mention that the uh, CD version of it actually comes back with your back catalog, six other Tier City Model 1 games. Yeah. So two of which were all... not released before for the public. Yeah, four of them are available on the um, downloads everywhere, but two I never did release. Um, so I thought, oh, well, what a shame. It's never seen the light of day. So I thought I'd put them out. Um, so you can get my entire Nick Morenti's pre-Coco software collection. See where the madness started. Right, it's really well done. Like all of your games, you put a lot of time into attention to detail, into the presentation, the title screens, you know, sound, sound effects, effects. Uh, game over, high score screens. It's a it's a complete package, and it's just a testament to your quality of a person and as a 
a person who produces quality projects and products. And here I've been I, trying to deflate Nick's ego and ah. you just ruined months of work, <laughs> Steve. <That's> a, <laughs> <laughs> my ha my head's now bigger than my ass. <laughs> <laughs> awesome job. Anyway, it is a really good game, and it, it got positive feedback. I know after the Trash Talkers episode, you actually had a burst of sales, so apparently a lot of yeah, the viewers of that. Yeah, sales like right it. after the show. I said, yeah, fool them. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but, it, yeah, it's, it's good. The other thing also, it, it's encouraged other people to uh, – also uh develop on the model one i like there was a few people saying gee i should see what i can do on the model one i said yeah that'd be good eh? so if, if it encourages further development on the model one it, that it's a win yeah because yeah, i think peter's the only other person that's really released i, I guess there was a game programming yeah. challenge but he released a, a stampede clone remember called yeah, Outlaw, yeah. i believe which is a clone of the activision stampede 2600 game too that he released recently and he said, yeah, the sales were a little bit better than he was expecting. He made it in the old style Tandy yeah, packaging he, too. That's right. It's part of the retro collectible thing as mm -hmm. well. So they've actually had a couple of brand new machine language games come out for the Model yeah. 1 and 3, which is pretty cool. Now, this was so, interesting too. And since Nick, we got you on here right now, this was posted by Michael Strickland in Facebook, which is an old article from the Sydney Morning Herald from 2001 talking about retro computing back at that time, 20 years ago. And you might recognize this little face here in the... Uh... Is that Steve Bjork? <laughs> Where's the boy? Crikey! That's Nick Morantes with dark hair. No, it's not. Look, he's got dark... He's got a head Who is that? of hair Who is that? black. That's not me. That... Yeah. I look in the mirror, I don't look like any anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, even, even back then, yeah, I was definitely touting the Coco even then, I think one of the lines what do i say i'd like to see a little machine like the coco do big things Neat. yeah i'm not yeah. so impressed by seeing a big machine do big things because that's what i expect and that's exactly my attitude too right. oh manny wants to know if you got a new ferrari from your z80 uh, say. <laughs> <laughs> i, I think that's vw bug money that they're yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's able to put a down payment on a used yugo <laughs> no, 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 Nick, this, this article, like it has you at the very last two paragraphs, basically. Was there another page to the article or was that it? You just no, as far as I know, pictures? that was it, yeah. Oh, okay. Because they did a lot of concentration on C64s and Apples earlier on here, so they kind of cut yeah. you short, I think. Save the best for last. Yeah. Well, they, he's the only one who got the, his picture in there, so yeah. obviously he's the most photogenic of the bunch. That's it. Crush. Which is <laughs> well, kind of scary. Was. The Coco was, yeah. Was I, I, was, I was background. Poster child. But, um, well, the thing is, a lot of the articles, I think I remember at the time, a lot of articles, this article was, or this writer had a, uh, a, a weekly or monthly retro type computer column. But it's always about Commodore, about you know, Atari, IBM's maybe, mm -hmm. and it never talks about the Coco. So I wrote to the guy, says, hey, look, you want a real computer to talk about? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So I, yeah, that's how he got to know me. And I, he said, "Oh, can you send me a picture?" I said, "Okay, well, you know, there you go. <laughs> Just look at the bottom half. The top half, I couldn't help." <laughs> <laughs> I do think your comment, though, imposter, Photoshop stunt by Elkers, about me, and definitely not me. Look at that load of black hair, fake news. <laughs> yeah, I must say, I got shocked when I saw it too. Wow. <laughs> Crikey. 
<laughs> yeah. Anyway, that was kind of cool. I had not seen that article before. So. History. Oh, Glenn Hewlett, of course, who's been busy the last couple months of me, cranked out Joust, then he cranked out Defender, now he's working on Robotron, so he's put out a, an article update on, on Robotron. So he's got basically the whole intro sequence going. Um, I don't think he's got sound in there yet. Oh, wait, that maybe is, I'll do the zoom-up version here, I think. Yeah, there it is. So 512K Coco 3 required, of course. He's still a little bit worried about the uh, speed of the actual final game, but we'll see how that goes. But he's got it running pretty good so far. I like how he spells Kalor there for the Tandy Kalor Computer correct, 3. Yeah. Yeah. The Queen's English. Yeah. Oh, I like that screen there. That's nice. Yeah, this is when you're doing early development. You're not worried about whether the fact you overwrote the graph or the text screen. So. Right. Wow, that is cool how that blasts out there like that. Let's talk about palette animations. That looks really good. Yep. That's almost Nick Arenti's level of uh, high score screen there, huh? Look at that. <laughs> I, I guess you saw the Jim Hunter video first. And yeah, right. That may, may be different on a flat panel screen. Yeah, this is actually on a CRT, too. So it looks really good. Cool. Robotron, save the last human family. But for those of you who have seen the actual arcade game, you can oh, tell. Oh, man, it's look at that. It's, they're, they're rotating and they're palletizing. And, man. Designed by Vid Kids for Williams Electronics, Inc. Huh? Who the hell were the Vid Kids? Oh, I'm trying to remember. There was a whole article on that. Uh, that Eugene Jarvis and a few other people can't remember. A robot species so advanced that man is inferior to his own creation. Guided by their infallible logic, the Robotrons conclude the human race is whatever. That's typical. Basically story. doomed. Yes. Yeah. Due to genetic engineering error, you possess superhuman powers. Your mission is to stop the Robotrons and save the last human family. Mikey. Hey, he might. He likes it. Hey, Mikey. All right. Forces of ground roving unit network. Yeah, grunt. Indestructible Hulk. That's one thing that got botched on the Robotech port we have for the Coco 1 and 2 because the Hulks are not indestructible and that kind of loses something for the game. But so far, the graphics seem to be going at a pretty good clip, so maybe yeah. you won't have a problem, yeah. I'm hoping. Beware of the ingenious brain Robotrons that possess the power to reprogram humans into sinister progs. Oh, my God. Oh, and they're leaving a whole trail of things behind them now, too, huh? Yeah. <laughs> we woke up Mikey from his nap because we mentioned his name. I don't know if you know what, what Mikey, one of the humans in Robotron is actually named Mikey. I just saw that. Yeah, it's uh, interesting because the, the the parents are just called mummy and daddy, yeah, but the yeah, kids my, actually have names. So, yeah. man, anyway, that's it, really a lot good. of progress there. Really Looks good, awesome. Glenn. Great job, Glenn Hewlett. That's that's fun to watch. Amigos, we uh, know those up, guys. Yeah, so I don't have a new video to show you yet, but I will mention a couple of things that are coming up on their channel that are Coco related. Uh, so the first one is is on their YouTube channel. They're going to be releasing officially the episode for this month on November 22nd, which is Donut Dilemma, done by some Aussie named Nick who happens to be on the panel. And actually, you were in the chat during that one, so I think they refer to you a few times. Uh, they're doing a live pre-taping next 
week on November 20th at 4 p.m. Eastern for Dungeons of Dagrath. I'm really Ooh. interested to see what they're going to think about this one because they're not the greatest RPG players. And they're also not the greatest typists. <laughs> so this might be a real challenge. So I'm as, really curious. A, a pre-taping, is that when you tape before you tape? Is that what a pre-taping is? Uh, no, it just means that they're actually recording it Pre, first yeah, and then they release it a month later. Yeah, I'm just giving yeah. you a hard time. It's okay. Yeah. Uh, cool. We look so, forward to the Amigos. Look forward to that. Um, also, if you're in their Discord, uh, please post a review of Dungeons of Dagrath before the tape date so they if they can use it on the air as, as the, some of the reviews they read. They also look for magazine reviews and stuff like that, too. So I got to do mine yet. It reminds me. And the second thing is, is that tonight uh, at 7 p.m. Eastern, they're doing the first live, and it's T-E-A-Y-S, and that stands for some county or district or something, I can't remember the exact name of it, but the Valley Classic Computer Club, which is a retro computer club covering all retro machines. And they do hardware and they do software. So they have a bunch of people playing games. They'll have some people trying to fix a monitor or fix a motherboard or whatever else. It's always a fun time if you're into retro and they're doing their first live one since COVID started. So this is the first time in a year and a half they've gotten together for this and that's tonight. Mm. And I put in a request for them to try to out the Joust and Defender Transcodes and see what the non-Coco familiar people in the club think of those. So I'm hoping they'll get a chance to try that. Whether they do it on the real hardware or Mister, I'm not sure. But uh, that's on tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern. So I will be trying to catch that. And it's my work. Next up, we have this was uh, Robert River posted this up that he was trying to get a transfer of a game that he has on disc. And he had never really used the SDC before for trying to copy stuff off a real physical floppy onto there. He got a bunch of help and he got it working. So it's a game called Labyrinth of Chaos. Originally written by Michael Setzer. I don't know if this was a commercial release. I've not found it in a brief look at Rainbow Magazine. It was never reviewed. Um, maybe it was briefly sold there. I know the author did publish some other programs in Rainbow in the early 90s himself. This game was released in 91. So I did find a few games that he published in, in Rainbow as type-in programs. But it's uh, it's a text adventure game. It's got a semi-graphics intro screen. Then it's got a high-res P-Mode 4 little graphics screen. And then it kicks into regular text with, you know, a scroll protect and stuff. So if you're into text adventure games, it's a brand new one. So that's been found. He got it transferred, which is awesome. He's actually uploaded it both to Facebook and to the Color Computer Archive. It just got activated this morning. So if you guys want to try out this game, uh, it's now available for download. Nice. Color Computer Programming, we've covered him a... Uh, fair bit lately he's been doing a lot of you know tutorial style videos and him learning color color, color basic and uh for a change here he actually went and did a few things of you know fairly complicated things like doing defined function which i'm sure a lot of us have not used that often unless you're into heavy duty stuff but he's also done some animation so he did a little bit of a poker game he did in pmo3 he's got some you know hints of graphic games that he's working on for arcade style stuff using just you know get put circle paint that kind of stuff so goes into a bit of details about how these different uh, commands work. He also mentions that you can definitely do faster machine language, but the only thing he knows about machine language is the peak to read the joystick button. So that's his uh, excuse for just using basic, but he's, he's, it's pretty good. He's, he's learning as he goes along and, and kind of rekindling his, his love of extend basic on the Coco. Kind of a nice companion piece to your uh, basic course there too, Stevie. Looks good. Uh, this one, AC's 8-Bit Zone has returned, and last time we showed that he was doing an article on sprites using software sprites and Hi, basic. this is AC's 8-Bit Zone. And this time he this goes into the uh, machine language sprites a bit, to assembly and actually does his own. So he does kind of a little Pac-Man thing. He does a source code here where he shows is another you know, how it works, etc., and showing the speed and difference between the basic program. 
just I won't play the whole thing here because we'll it's, it's you know, 15 minutes long. It's, it's pretty cool because you actually go through the details of how you have to do masking and how you do stuff to time it where you don't get tearing and stuff like that. So it's a pretty interesting article where those are just learning it like he is. He's literally learning this as he goes. And of course, he's uh, he's got some ultimate design goals of, of going further than this that I'm sure he'll be getting into in future episodes. But the, the part one was basically basic sprites, limitations and the easiness of use on that. And now he's getting to machine language sprites, which is harder, but much faster and can keep up with games more. Can you can you scrub over to the part where it actually shows what one of his sprites looks like on the on the screen? All right, it looks like a Pac-Man screen. Yeah, that's kind of what we're shooting for. So. so here we go. What graphics mode is this in? Yeah, uh, this is really. Fast. I think this is P mode four with artifact okay, so being stretched on his monitor. Okay, that's pretty smooth. Yeah, and he's steering that with the joystick, so that's live. Very responsive. And he's got the little red CPU, yeah, CPU usage mean, bar on the far yeah. left. Yeah. Yeah, that's nice. And it, of course, like I said, he gave us you know, some source code samples and stuff explaining how he's doing this. Man, this guy just taking the world by storm, isn't he? Hardware, software, just doing everything. Yeah, it's kind of like a Mr. Dave. Yeah, it went through the anyway, tunnel. definitely go check it out. It's it's actually part of a series on sprites on the Coco, and it's going to be progressing, ratcheting it up as it goes. So I'm really looking forward to this part three. Nice. This is one uh, Karen Sixie and I actually took part in in the chat. So this is uh, Mame Hayes, um, and this guy basically takes Mame and picks a platformer, or, you know, subject or something, and does some gameplay. And I think he's actually one of the developers on Mame too. But he did a two-part Dragon special. The first was three and a half hours, and then a few days later, he did a four and a half hour one. So he's getting up to Coco Talks, you know, wow. lengths here. But he was actually he had a bunch of games kind of picked out ahead of time, and then he also took some suggestions from chat afterwards. But Kieran and I were kind of chipping in with some information on some of the games. He had a couple of Stu Orchards games featured, so we mentioned that you know he's still active. And uh, he was pretty impressed with some, not impressed with some. I mean, just like everything else. I mean, you, you, you have some good games, you have some real stinkers too. But it was really interesting. And he's actually said there was enough he discovered through Kieran and me and also from his just experimenting himself there that he's going to probably do a third episode at some point too. Or maybe pick a certain game genre or something where he's going to make sure he includes some Dragon games because he's pretty, he pretty impressed with some of, the, some of the games. And as you can see here, he does a ton of other stuff too, all game related. So if you're into that kind of stuff running on MAME with uh, various machines and arcade machines, home computers, the whole bit. Uh, it's a pretty pretty good channel. And he, he does keep very good track of the chat, so he's actually active with the audience, which is always a favor to me watching one of these streams. This one here is another Dragon game collection uh, from a channel called George. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Um, but this is a Spanish channel, I believe. Yes, so it's all in Spanish, but he goes through some dragon games too. And you know, he does some, you know, the basic old ones like Color Invaders, which is an old computerware run from 1981. And just goes through a few of them, but it's all with a Spanish background. Now, we've noticed that you guys actually had some Spanish speakers at the show this year that actually had a seminar too. They yeah. want to reach out and kind of cross the two communities together. So I'm going to try to feature some of these as they come up a bit more because we do obviously have a Spanish audience both in Spain and Europe and then also in, in Central and South America here too. Uh, so I think there's a pretty big audience. There's a lot of clones were done in South and Central America. So um, 
I think that's an audience we definitely want to tap into. And if they can help us with some of the translations and stuff here, maybe we can actually get some of the you know, parlaying back and forth between the two communities and make videos that are friendly to both languages simultaneously. Uh, did you get a chance to talk to them much, Stevie, or any of the people bit, on yeah. the panel? Yeah. Next, we start the Jim Gary collection. Now, I will, I'm going to give a bit of a teaser. There's some extra MC10 stuff that was a complete surprise to me afterwards. That's not Jim Gary related, but we'll get through the Jim Gary stuff first. So this first one, I don't know how to pronounce that. It's French. Um, and it's a conversion, as a lot of Jim's games are. So this was originally a French text adventure game. Um, standard adventure game, I guess, but he had to do the translation as well. So he converted that one first. And then the next one he did, it's called Mystery Mania. Ooh, I like that. A little Sherlock Holmes profile. This is from the 1987 uh, Compute Magazine from December of 87. And this was originally written in GW Basic for the IBM PC and the clones, and he converted over to the MC10. What was that 1 through 32,000? Is that just like doing a random number seed or something? Yeah, I think so. And it's kind of a Clue-style game, if you're familiar with the board game Clue. Uh -huh. Colonel so you Mustard to figure out, try to figure out who did it. with the lead pipe. Yes. Yeah, except, of course, they picked totally different things and they get sued. <laughs> but it's just kind of an interesting uh, interesting game. And I did like that graphic ring. I think it's actually a semi-graphic 6, so it's a little yeah, bit higher Yeah, look nice. Look really nice. Next one is called Star Lanes, and this is a basic space trading strategy game. It was originally written for the Altair Basic, so we're going way back here, wow. and then converting it over to the MC10. So this is a game that would predate, you know, the Tier City Model One even uh, back when you know, computers were only sold in kit form to the home. I'm wondering why you have like those kind of delays and how the stuff's being dropped down on the screen. I guess it's having to look stuff up as it's doing things. It's kind of a neat effect to kind of like paint yeah it could be data statements they yeah. might even pause it just to make it readable so yeah I don't, i'm not no, sure that's cool i like i like that whole uh reveal of what's coming up on the screen yeah but basically a space trading game and you get companies that merge and become bigger companies and stuff so it's kind of a almost like a wall street game set in space rick adams is a big fan of taking things and setting them in space <laughs> he talked about that during his talk yes And I noticed, I noticed called... a very familiar theme. Most of Jim Gary's stuff has a green background with black text. Is that uh, is that his trademark? <laughs> I don't know if he's quite figured out the poke to get the orange text yet. Maybe I'll have to talk to him about that. But uh... yeah, yeah, so this is another game that predates the Coco or the MC10. It's called Capture, and you can see the original date of the original it's release, from February twenty seventy eight. Wow. By Mark Oglesby, and then uh, Mark himself had done updates up and through March 30th of 1980. Wow. And this was originally a game on the Commodore PET, one of the original triumvirates of uh, the three I'll instructions after I make the playing board. What? Is this like a crosswords? What's going on here? I'm not really sure because I haven't actually tried to have a chance to play it yet, so. Uh, the player is the pound, and the players pound and at take turns. That went quick. Okay. Capturing letters on the board. All characters except spaces within this shape field. 
are also captured and changed to a player's symbol. When all the letters are gone, the player with the most captives wins. Okay. So that's neat, picking up letters off the, out of the maze. Right, so it's designed for two players. So one person is an at, one person is a pound. Right. Yeah, and you can play against computer too, so you can play okay. this single player game. Where is the at sign? I don't player. see it. Oh, okay. Oh, so it's kind of like flood it where you fill it in with your color when you hit something. Could be, yeah. Kind of looks like that. Like something you selecting in the lower right corner there, I see. That must be, that might be the computer thinking. Oh, that could be too. It's looking for letters it wants to capture or something. Interesting. Yeah. Anyway, so that's four games that uh, Jim released this last oh, slow two week. weeks. Slow week. Yeah. Yes. Slow two weeks. Well, he slow was two weeks for Jim Gary. Watching you yeah. guys, and he was kind of burned out after the MC10 special. I think it's the uh, it was the Nitrous Nine one that put him to sleep, so it took him that long to get out of his coma. I thought so. it was the game developers. <laughs> <laughs> We're watching Stevie prattle on about Coco Talk. Blah blah blah. <laughs> All right, so cool, cool stuff. Capture. By so the next the next batch here of games for the MC10, and these are also available for the Coco. All of them. In fact, the very last, the seventh one is actually Coco only at this point. Is something that came as a complete surprise to me when I was searching for stories this week. All of these were released in November for the MC10. They're machine language. They're probably based on a library. I don't read Japanese, so I can't tell. So these are all free downloads as WAV files. And they, these are mega multi-platform. Like you, you, they've got YouTube samples of like 30 different machines from wow. NEC PCs to Spectrums to Coco to MC10 to IBM to whatever. And basically, they're all arcade-style games. Most of them are clones or similar to derivatives of arcade games. And there's a few that I don't recognize, but that just might mean I've never seen the arcade game. Uh, but they're all free downloads. Six of them are available for the MC10. Most require the 16K upgrade because they do use P-Mode 1 equivalent graphics. They have machine language sound routines and stuff. I'm going to show one of the download pages just so you kind of know what they look like. If you want the links to all the games to go grab them and the Cocoa versions and the MC10 versions are on the same page, that will be in the show notes that are in the uh, Discord. Suspense is killing me. Oh my goodness. MSX. Well, this is a game PC. called Neuros. I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but you can see like here's an MSX version. Here's the PC 8001, the JR100, the PC 6001, the JR200, the X1, and then you can just keep going through MZ80 Pasopia, which I've never even heard of. Here's the Apple II version. Um, you know, just keep going, and there's just so many ports, and they try to make them all, you know, common engines. So they look fairly similar to each other. And if you keep going through all these different systems oh, they've got in the before. Oh, look at that. That looks really there's nice. MC10, and there's the Cocoa version. And there's the WAV file you can download. They even give you loading instructions if you're not familiar with that particular right. system. So in the, these two, it's Clodum Exec. This is the release date here. So the Cocoa version actually came out the day after the MC10. Wow. System requirements over here. So you need 16K RAM. The Cocoa version needs uh, 32K, which you'll notice is slightly higher res. It's a, a P-Mode 3, one on the Cocoa 3, P-Mode 1 on okay. the MC10. So they have so, put a little bit of time into taking advantage of the platforms. Yeah, yeah. I like it. So let's go to the actual gameplay. These are all very quick videos. Most of them are like less than a minute. So I'll just play like a good chunk of each one so you can kind of get an idea. And I'll let you guess what games they are. Now, Nurus, I'm not sure what this is. If some of you people that are arcade nuts might know this better than me. Micro Color um, Basic. Clotum. Nurus. Solver Monster Card. You got... Oh, that's interesting. And you have to throw a card at a card. I've never a seen a game set. like that in my life. 
I haven't either. This is a new one on me. I like it. I really like it. I like the animation. You grab a card and you throw it at a card. So it's yep, always while done, avoiding the monster. done in pairs. Is anybody in the panel seen a game like this in the arcade? I think that is and it just keeps going. Yep. Wow. So that, that was basically the quick game deal that one. So now we're going to get in the ones that are arcade ports. Okay. And I'll let you guys figure out which ones I like these. I want to play these. So this one's called Ruptus. See what you can, if you can figure out what exactly Ruptus. this is. Ruptus. What in the Ruptus is going on here? Ruptus. This is looking... Okay, this is... Oh, my goodness. This is... Uh, yes. Uh, Draconian. Yeah. This is a clone of Draconian. <laughs> No I rescuing like humans, though. That's one the, thing Draconian uh, added that really added yeah. to the game. Got, so it's got, like, the radar. It's got the big mother things you got to shoot. Dude, this is awesome. So the MC10 Machine Language Library, game library, just took a big increase. Six games yeah. in the span of two weeks. And even though the website might be uh, Asian, uh, the game itself, you know, score, high score, and stage, it's all English, so... Yeah, and then they got different levels with the different maps. So that's quite a bit like uh, the original one. Next up, this one's called Boot Scale. See if you can figure out what this one is. Boot Scale. Hmm. Hmm. Boot Scale. Oh, this is like a Toot and Common. Nope. No? Oh, oh a yep. Pengo. Pengo. Uh, yep. Okay. I'm gonna just push the blocks. I like it. Really well done. And I like how they're using the blue background so we don't see all that nuclear green, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that was a perfect. I showed this to Nick last night as a sneak preview for him here, and he said the same thing that the blue background really helps. Yeah. I like that. Man, this is really cool. So they must have something like an AGD where they can just crank things out. Yeah, huh? exactly. And it's it's multi-platform. Now, the other one we've seen is Fabio Caruso. He's done a couple games. That he, he's actually active in our Coco group, but he's ported to 200 different platforms. He's got a general engine. I think it's a different engine than this, but he's okay. done some cross-platform games too. Okay, see so if you can guess this next one called Batlot. 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 Lord. All right, I'm not going to say Toot and Common on this one. Actually, this is closer to Toot and Common, but it has a few extra things like destructible walls. Holy MC-10s, Batman. So you're shooting through the wall, gradually destroying it. Yeah, I mean, the closest thing I can think is a Toot and Common inspired type game yeah and then different levels of course to the thing no scrolling or anything on this no, one, of course it's cool though cool man this next is... one's called cabot see if you can guess this one cabot uh, dick cabot isn't the guy who ran that talk show cabot oh my goodness is this dig dug you betcha Drop it, drop it like it's hot. Oh, the double it's drop. This... Patoof, patoof. I like that. It's the Stevie sound chip. Poof, poof, poof. Oh, got them all. Man. 
And this one's got pickups you have to get, huh? Yeah. Ooh. Mm. It's a Stevie sound chip. Oh yeah. Anyway, it's another really cool one. Like I was really impressed to find those. So that's that's the new MC10. Well, actually, I think there's one other one yet. Oh my god. No, no, this no. one's called Ariel. Ariel, the Little Mermaid. Under or antenna. Or that could Is it be an true. antenna. Exec. Ariel. I mean, these title screens look all. Oh, there's a plane. The plane. The plane. Ooh. I like this. This is like a scramble. Yep. But or eliminator because can... it actually has the angling. Ship, yeah, the like angling. It's got the angle of the dangle. Um, very smooth too. Man, I like these. What? These are great. And the fact that they cranked all of these out in November. Right. Do they have more coming? Like, is there going to be a slew of these for the next couple of weeks? I don't know. Hashtag, I'm going to keep an eye on the page for sure. It's like hashtag Nov... September. No, I don't know how that works. Nov Tandy or Tan... I don't know how to... <laughs> um, you got to link it with MC10 too. Yeah, somehow. It's got the rockets. It's got the you know, stuff yeah, between the ground. The angling of the plane, which even real scramble doesn't do. Scrolling background. All you need is like a fuel canister, which I don't see, but I need this fuel management. Yeah, there's no on. fuel gauge on this one, so that's the one thing they, they didn't implement. This looks like this is a little bit easier to play than Popstar Pilot. <laughs> just, just. <laughs> oh, no you balloons. can't shoot backwards. You need a butt cannon. So, uh, fire <laughs> behind you. So. <laughs> oh, boy. But I like the fact they actually did, took the time yeah, to do the, the detail of having the ship angle and stuff. Right. And you and can shoot the angles, too. And now too, the scenery changes, too. Now we're flying over Egypt or something. November is what Now, here's the boss. This is oh, new. Oh, my goodness. It's a dirigible. Or a Zeppelin or something. This, now, that kind of reminds me of Time Pilot a little bit, you know? We had to shoot the big... Uh, yeah, the big boss at the end of each time period. Frederick Provence has got to go. Take care, Fred. Good to see you at Coco Fest. Hey, that was a really cool one, too. So yeah, man. that's the six new MC10 games this week. Crikey. Um, the last one here is one that required 32K um, called Maisie. Maybe. So this one is on the Coco only because the MC10, they basically only know about the stock MC10 16K RAM upgrade. Right. So I don't know if they could take advantage of the, uh, the newer add-ons that add more RAM. But I'll show you that one too. So this one, because it's on the Coco, is actually has some scrolling, and it's also in P mode three instead of one. Ooh, amazing, baby! I'm amazed. All right, here we go. It is. Ooh, man. Ooh, dude, I like this. This is the Running Man, like in uh, Night Stalker type thing. Very television-ish looking. Yeah. The Running Man especially looks like a Night Stalker. Yeah. What are those things? Lobsters. Four-way scrolling and slightly yeah. higher resolution. Oh, a good big meanie face there. Like, looks like David Ladd when he doesn't get his Diet Dr. Pepper. He's all cranky looking. <laughs> so that's a Coco Unique one you can that go download. That is neat. That is cool. Out, so. A game we've anyway, never seen all of these were a complete surprise to me. I had no idea these were in progress. I, I didn't. I've never heard of this cross engine before. Uh, I like like I said, go into the Discord. You can you know, figure out the the root link for the page. And I'm going to keep an eye on this page and see what else. Yes. Can the next one, Man, so. our library just got expanded. 
that's the end of the game on news. Ooh, and then how much newsy news do we have? Uh, a fair bit, though, slightly less than that. Okay. Well, we'll probably take a break. Um, this is maybe just a quick food for thought for the audience to chime in, too. We kind of had a brief discussion uh, right before the show about um, a way to serve the audience and serve the news and not um, not miss out on the news. But um, every now and then, sometimes the news can get long and we have a long show and then we have long news. It's kind of hard to squeeze it all in. So we're trying to figure out the best way to not have to skip news and not have to skimp on news. Um, and there's been a few suggestions. One of the suggestions that um, Grant came up with and Mark Bosley was if they were going to stream that like Mark Bosley could stream the first half of the show up to like the game on and the game on news we would take a break and then Grant Leedy could stream the second half of the show where then the news and everything else has it and then the show is just broken into two parts that is a possibility um, we've toyed around and tossed around the idea of maybe having um, the news as a separate show where we have weekly news just as a separate stream then we talked about maybe making the game on as a separate stream so i don't know part of this we want to make sure the audience is not having to divide themselves too much um i think there's pros and cons to having four to six hour shows if it's one long video feed you can kind of scrub back and forth in the same media clip and get to what you want when you break it into two different clips does that become a huge barrier to entry uh, i don't know Myself, I don't think so, but we, we want to be mindful of the audience, but I also want to be mindful of um, having one episode just be too long um, and things like that. So we don't know the answer, but we're just throwing out the question to the viewers. What uh, I guess it would be a, a, maybe a few-part question, like what segments do you like? What segments would be best suited if we had to um, move them to a separate show or a separate part of the show? Um, it, would the audience be upset if we broke news into a different video feed versus one long feed? So just ponder on that. Think about that. Um, and then we're going to take a, a brief commercial break, and then we'll be back with more news with L. Curtis Boyle. Before you hit the uh, commercial there, Steve, yeah. you want to give the email address for people to send in what they think about doing this? Uh, you could you could respond to us on the Coco Talk channel in Discord, which is uh, the Coco Talk lobby, or you could just send that to Coco Talk at CocoTalk.live. Uh, would be a couple of your choices there. So... Um, Tom Eric Gunnarsson says we have the winning formula already. Don't make a new Coke. <laughs> <laughs> well, if if news is running long, maybe Curtis could just talk faster. Uh, yeah, that's what we need, right? We, we uh, need that, that, we like need that guy. From, yeah. Need that guy from the FedEx commercials back in the eighties. Uh, Why don't we just have a short show when Steve hosts, and then long shows when everyone else hosts? Uh, all right, well, just think about those things, and we're going to be back after Preach. these words. Hey there, I'm Marco Rolzer, and you're watching Coco Talk. Fletcher, I don't need that report tomorrow. Great, JT. I need it tonight. But, JT... Fletcher saved $300 on her office away from the office. Radio Shack's revolutionary Model 100 computer. It's a word processor, phone directory, and dialer. It even communicates with the office computer. Fletcher, how's that report? Fletcher. Radio Shack's Model 100. Save $300 and put it to work. You'll go far, Fletcher. <laughs> You'll go far. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. 
And now, Coco Thoughts by Samuel Gimes. On holidays, Uncle JT would entertain us with stories of his business conquests and his assistant who would meet any deadline that he imposed, no matter how ridiculous. Well, until she shot him in the face, that is. Hi, this is the award-winning Alan Huffman of Subbeat the Software, and you're watching Stevie Fall Off Cliffs. What's going on, guys? Stevie Stroh here, and I want to say thank you so much for being part of this adventure with us. It's been such a great experience in doing Coco Talk every week, and the support we get is just amazing. And so the fact that you watch and listen is all the reward that we need. However, if you would like to become a patron of the show and offer some financial assistance towards the production and hosting costs of the show, we do have a Patreon site available for that, and you can reach that by going to our website at cocotalk.live and clicking on the Patreon link. But just do us a favor and watch and listen to the show. This is not the Joey Serial Switch. This is the Joey Serial Switch. Control up to three serial devices. Order yours today at CocoMan.biz. Christmas Tandy has a very special offer, a family color computer pack to take away at a very special price. This family computer comes complete with software and costs an incredible $449, a saving of $241.69. It's powerful, educational, and ideal for the young and young at heart. The easy way to start computing. The color computer family pack from Tandy. Get it while it's hot. Tandy, the biggest electronic store in Australia. Yeah. Hi, I'm Tim. Playing Daggereth like that idiot from the book. <laughs> You're watching Coco Talk. From around the world, what you need to know. Get caught up on news and Elkers. A new Muppet News Flash. And take it away, L. Curtis Boyle. Okay, so before I get to sharing screens and getting through the regular news, there's a couple of things I wanted to bring up first. Uh, first is some sad news. Just found out this morning, uh, Tony Pergaz let us know on Facebook that Carl Bowles, is a longtime Glenside Color Computer Club member. He was uh, actively involved in the Glenside IDE project back in the 90s. I worked with him on the second version of the drivers for that. He was kind of handling the making of the hardware and selling it. Uh, he passed away. Oh. Um, a, a friend went to go visit him because he hadn't heard from him a few days and just, you know, he found him there and that was that was it. So he'll be greatly missed by everybody in the Glenside and the co-communities in general. I've met him at Fest since the 90s, so he's been active in the club, so that's uh, sad news. We've lost a couple of really good people this past year, like Paul Barton and and, and now with Carbol too, so that's uh, yeah. a bit of sad news. And unfortunately, I'm still here, so... Um. <laughs> Yeah. Um, uh, speaking of which, there was a thing at Coco Fest uh, honoring George. 
who we also lost this year too. So there were some pictures of him um, from past fest and some notes written by kids and stuff like that too. So and, and yeah. stuff. So that was kind of cool. My my Seamus guy. Yeah, Seamus. Yeah. So, um, sort of starting on a, on a sad note, but I did want to mention that because Carl was a, a good friend of mine. I used to talk to him at the fest for hours at a time, especially when Microsoft was starting to come out. He was one of the big supporters of it. So, um, it's sad. And his wife had passed away a while ago. Plus, I mean, Carl had a stroke. We saw him there with the cane when he came by and kind of surprised people because he, I don't think most of us were expecting him to show up. But uh, it was nice that he came out to see us all, you know, before. Anyway, enough of the downer stuff. Yeah. Well, I just, just want to add on to that. So, I mean, we're kind of at that age, right, where a lot of us are in our 40s or, or older. So you really want to make sure that, um, you know, life is short, make the best of it. And if you, it's one of those things, if you've never been to a Cocoa Fest and you say, oh, yeah, next year I'm going to go, then you, you might just want to come because, you, you know, somebody you see this year, you might not see next year, you, uh, you know, that you, you might not be around for next year, right? So... Um, when you get a chance to get out and, and be with people, you can, right? And just celebrate yeah. that. So, Yeah, help make those memories together coming out to the fest and stuff here because it, it is a, a really nice, close-knit community, and it's, it's nice to be able to see everybody. Mm-hmm. Now, before I get into Glenn's weblog here, I wanted to mention one other thing. Um, Gwyn Major has now got some of the Cocoa 3 tape and cartridge programs on the Color Computer Archive that will let you auto-launch the online version of XROAR, which is created by Karen Ann Scamo, also known as 60 in the chat. And we'll fire it up automatically, including default joystick configurations. So you don't have to figure out, is this a left joystick game or a right joystick game? So he's been taking a lot of time to get this, you know, the specific settings for each game set up properly. So you can do that now. Um, and he's also posting uh, fixed up magazine scans. I guess there was a complaint from um, somebody on Facebook, I think it was Eric Averleck, who had found some of the scans of Rainbow that had you know either missing pages or the pages were super low res and you couldn't read them, et cetera. So, you will notice if you go into the Color Computer Archive right now, as of this morning, I haven't checked later, um, but some of the rainbow stuff has been pulled off. And it's not because it's disappearing. It's because he's going through and fixing them up and he's going to be putting them back on once they're all fixed up here. So we should actually get clean, complete scans. So I just wanted to mention those two things. That's nothing really to show per se. But So first of all, we got Glenn Hewitt, of course, who's working on the current Robotron. So he's been doing a couple of his development blogs. We showed his kind of like his status of the uh, port so far. So he's got two other articles here that are kind of going through the routines that he's finding. So this first one here is an interesting method called printing text. And there's a couple of different ways to print text. You can do a pointer you know, to a, a, a chunk of memory and then you just you know, point to the screen and you just copy them back over type thing. But he goes in through a couple of different you know, sub methods, I guess, of, of doing it in different ways. And you know, some of them are faster, some of them are smaller. There's some tricks like you can have the text right after a jump to subroutine. So when it jumps to the subroutine to go print the text, the stack will have a copy of where the program counter is supposed to come back to after an RTS. Well, now it's actually pointing to the text. So all you have to do is just load the pointer right off the stack as soon as you get to your print routine. And it's instantly got the pointer text no matter where you came from, whatever text you were trying to do. And I've used that technique in a couple of programs myself as a bit of a space saver. So we go through a couple of these different ways of doing it. Uh, you know, and kind of tells you like this one runs better for shrinking it, and this one runs better for speed, etc. So uh, it's a pretty good inf- informational article on a couple different techniques that you can use to optimize your text printing routines. And then he does another one here. Where he's kind of going through the different ways of drawing a vertical line on a color computer Cocoa 3 screen. 
Um, here's the, you know, the dirt simple method, which is a little bit slower. Then there's one using ABX instead. And then there's stuff about you know, self-modifying code and et cetera, et cetera. Once again, you can get the code bigger, but faster or smaller, but a little longer speed-wise. It depends on what you're trying to shoot for, if size is more critical. These will also somewhat apply to Coco 1 and 2 as well. So, I mean, you just have to change some of the values. And here it goes and unrolled loops, et cetera, here. And then it gives you the you know, timing differences you'll get between these different techniques, et cetera. And he's, of course, trying to figure out how to speed up Robotron as much as possible, because this is going to be more of a challenge in Defender or Joust, as there's a lot more on the screen to draw. So, you know, optimizing the laser shooting routines and stuff will definitely help. So, another informational assembly language. Uh, I love reading these things, to be honest. Because sometimes he showed me some techniques I never would have thought of in a million years. So I'm just in like an average assembly program. I'm not really, you know, I'm, I'm not super high level like some of the other people in the community are. This was a nice surprise. I didn't even know he was working on this. So uh, in addition to doing, you know, fixing rainbows and all this kind of stuff here, it actually released a brand new version of the SDCX Explorer. So this one adds in the capability of allowing you to choose which boot ROM. Now we do know some games, for example, will not run with the SDC ROM boot due to some incompatibilities. You have to boot it up with the alternate disk extended basic 1.1 ROM or whatever. And there's even some really old software that requires the disk 1.0 ROM. And you always had to remember to actually reboot the SDC into the proper ROM bank to run these programs properly. Well, now he's added the shift B option into the Explorer itself and it'll tell it to switch the ROM and then run the game. So that takes out all the extra work of having to remember the command and put it in before you run whatever particular game. So you can actually just do it straight from the, the selectable menu. So that's really cool. So that's available as a download for everybody on the Color Computer Archive. And uh, so update your SDC Explorer software for the Cocoa SDC. Next up, we have Michael Strickland who put up, um, it's basically a link to a Noah Knowles Retrolab had done a comparison video of using a very basic, and I mean literally in basic, uh, benchmark program that was done back in the day in a lot of computers. And he actually does a bit of a comparison on the speeds here. So he's got it kind of showing, it's just basically four next to this in addition. So it's a pretty simple thing. And it's more dependent on the basic implementation of basic itself than it is on the CPU speed, though that does play a factor, obviously. And you can see some of the kind of the timings here. So the Cocoa 2, 2 did pretty good, you know, a little bit slower than others, a little bit faster than others. Um, that's with the single speed up poke, which I had to mention too. I think it took 50 some odd seconds or something. High 50s, I believe, with the, with the speed up poke. And then I, of course, I, you know, some people were asking about Base 9. So I threw it in Base 9 and tried the 6809, 609 versions. And I had 609 version, I think, took nine seconds. And the 609 version took eight seconds. And that's without packing. So literally, you know, several times faster than anything else in this chart. And that was on the Coco 3. I didn't try it on the, on the Coco 1 or 2. So that'd be interesting to see if somebody has basic nine level on level 1 to see what kind of speed they get. The actual code here on the left is very, very simple. You can type it in literally verbatim into basic 9, uh, which is what I did. And uh, if anybody has a level 1 system they want to run that on and maybe post screenshots of what the time was on those, I'd be kind of curious to see what that runs like. Next up, and I, how do you pronounce this? I have no idea. Um, I think Kieran mentioned might be Michael something. <laughs> so basically he's actually printing a, an alternative case for a Cocoa Pie. So we've got John Strong's, Mark Siegel, uh, we mentioned when we did his interview, he's got a, a design which actually is now on the Color Computer Archive as well. And, and Stevie, he was asking if maybe we can throw it as an option on the, the Cocoa Pie site, just if people want to download it, it's a free, they can modify it 
to the heart's content type thing. Sure. Uh, it's just meant to be an alternative that takes a bit less plastic. It, it probably doesn't look as fully formed of a case as John's does, but it takes less plastics. It's a bit cheaper to print. So, you know, it's just another option. So we can maybe throw it on the site as an alternative if people want to do that. But this one's kind of interesting because instead of trying to duplicate a Coco 2 or 3 style case with the vents on the top, in the middle, this actually tries to duplicate a Coco 1 case. And bonus, you get pre-built in yellowing to show how old it looks, right? So, but basically he's, he's duplicating the Coco 1 style case. It's not as deep, obviously, but it's uh, it's even more retro looking than the uh, other existing ones. So we've got three alternatives now for cases for the Pi 400. Next up, Barry Nelson had a couple things that he posted up this week. Um, so the first one here is a little program that causes the Coco 3 to display the three amigos picture that you get when you hit control alt reset, but you can actually do this under program control. So if you want to grab it out and take a look at it and dump it and save it or modify it or whatever else, you can do that here with this little basic program that's shown on the screen. So that's posted up in the Facebook group. And then the other thing he did here, uh, he's got version two of his ROM loading running utilities, come ROM utils bin which adds some USR functions to basic so that you can actually program some of the ROMs for flashing to the, the Coco ROM. Uh, what's the flash one that Jim Brain says? I'm trying to remember the name of the product, but also the Coco SCC. It'll let you make, make your ROM images so that you can copy them off and put them onto the ROM banks. So he's got uh, three USR functions that are built in. There's one to read 16K directly into RAM starting at 4,000. You just call USR zero. USR one will relocate it to its normal spot at C000 and run it as a cartridge. And then he's got USR2, which relocates it to C000, which is normally where the cartridges are, and runs it as a DOS ROM, because there's some special setup for that. So you can download the disk image on Facebook for that. I don't know if he's uploaded to the archive yet. I don't think I've seen it there yet, but it might be. Next up, um, Paris Surratt wrote another demo for the Super Sprite FM Plus board, which John Worth has uploaded. Um, he uploaded a few, some were already blocked for playing commercial music on the soundboard, which obviously sounds good enough that you know they recognized it and took it down. Um, this does have some copyright music, so I'm not going to play too much of it myself here. You guys can check out the video and you can get the link for that either from the screen here now or from the uh, Discord news section. Um, this also depends on one particular make of the sound chips on board. There's some, he's doing some 639 streaming here, but there's some digitization options. And apparently not all of the chips he's put on these boards has this capability because there's a different version of this chip, an older version that doesn't have all these capabilities. So this is kind of like pushing the newer version up a bit. Hi all, um, it's time for another rubbishy, amateur looking video. Um, that's because I can only work with R101 unbridged. Normally you need to bridge R101 to do this. So it's all very experimental. But I just wanted to show you guys what's going on. It's loud enough for you guys? Um, and well, it's really it's just another. You can turn it up a little interesting bit. Interesting development from this board that I didn't really foresee. So, on the screen, you'll see I'm ready to run the Ujima Flip version of Pear's new PCM player. And this is going to be playing some music at 16 kilohertz across. Well, I think it's. I think it's 16 kilohertz across three channels, so 16 kilohertz on each channel. Um, so I'm going to run it. It's going to switch to the 9958 video mode. You're going to notice some more noise kicking. That's difficult to get around. If we go white on black, we will get over that. that that's fine. So please bear with us. Ignore the noise, but um, 
let's have a look. I just want to mention one thing before I start up here. He's kind of whispering because his kids were already asleep in another room. So it's a little bit quiet. So hopefully the actual music's not too loud. Right. So um, as ever, Pear has excelled himself. There's a ton of music on here. So I'm just going to choose something and then I'm going to hold this phone. It's quite late at night. My son's in bed. Um, so I don't want to wake everyone up. I'm going to choose some music and I'm going to put the phone quite close to the TV speaker. So you'll, you'll pick the noise up a bit more, but you know, try to ignore that for now. Okay. So we're going to play Baker Street by Jerry Rafferty. Here we go. Both of you, if you're familiar with the song, this is literally a digitized sample. Right, so these are samples. This is not synthesis. Correct. So that other, that one sound chip supports the actual, you know, digitized WAV style thing too. Mm. And he's streaming this off of the card <clears throat> straight in the speaker. So it's kind of like doing a live feed of, of actual 16 kilohertz music. That's like CD that's quality is about, right? No, 44 kilohertz is CD, right? Yeah. Or she's a little bit quiet. But... Yeah, yeah, that's pretty okay, good. Apologies. Um, just to reiterate, this this is music which is being streamed. It's coming from an SD card. It's being streamed direct from the Coco SDC um, onto the Super Sprite board. The Dragon 64 being used does have uh, a 6309 processor in it so yes it's got the additional commands in there to speed things up a bit i don't know that you could do this with a 6809 but even so you know I, um you can just might not be at the same time I, I, I never really thought i'd see a uh, dragon 64 being used as something pretty similar to an mb3 player so this is this is pretty cool um and you know this is this is a proof of concept as well so stick with us um hopefully we'll get this uploaded soon and choose some different colors to reduce this noise from this screen and i hope also to work out quite why we need to keep bridging r101 for some applications and not others so that's a, that's a nice little update there on some stuff they're doing and the fact you're streaming a 16 kilohertz sound stream with the dragon in complete control of it it's at 16 kilohertz and you're only running a 0.895 megahertz machine that's that's pretty impressive so I'm liking what, what Pear has been writing. He's been writing a ton of great demos, both graphics and, and text and, you know, the new text mode and the sprite chip and the sound chip. So he's been just doing a ton of stuff and, he and documenting has, it all. He has no MPI, so he's got that folded. Um, yeah, he's got the, uh, the SDC mounted on the internally and then he's got the external card. So it's a nice compact one. It's cool that he has space to keep the uh, SDC inside. Yeah, I, I don't know if we really have, would have room in a Coco case to do that. Maybe the Coco one, but I don't know if you'd have enough room in a Coco two or three. Unless you tuck it under the circuit board or under the keyboard or something, maybe with a ribbon cable or something. Uh, he, I has had a, my... he has what? the MPI, he's just not using it with the Dragon there. Yeah, no, you can you can use an MPI with the Dragon. I know some have done it before, but I, I, like in UK especially, you. MPIs are quite rare and shipping them from here is super expensive. So almost the time they try not yeah. to do that because it's you pretty well double the price. <laughs> yeah, I'm just saying he, 
Pierre does have one, so uh, he's just not using it with the dragon. So, yeah. <clears throat> Next up, we got uh, Sheldon Hildebrand. So he's put up another video showing the Coco VGA running a scaling rotating graphic in 16 colors over top of a background that kind of looks like Duck Hunt from the NES. So. Mm -hmm. I was using the 128.96 16-color mode on the Coco VGA. And he's still working on optimizing this here, but this time he's got it playing on a background. So that's part of a new engine he's been kind of working on. So I'm looking forward to the progress in that and see what kind of games he actually comes up with. I don't know if he's planning on making an actual Duck Hunt game or not, but it'd be pretty cool. Next up here, this is a really fascinating one. Uh, Roger Taylor, and he's asking if anybody else has seen this. So this is a mega big program pack used in the Mexican education system. There is 1064K ROMs on this board. So there's 640K ROM. This is a Coco 1-2 era, Coco 1 era actually, board. I don't remember seeing anything like this in the States. John, you've been around almost as long as me. So is that something you've seen before? No, I haven't seen anything like it before. Yeah, so you got all these 64K ROMs here, and there's, they're filled with educational software because it was for the uh, the system, you know, in, the education system in, in Mexico. So he kind of goes takes pictures of the board. I'm hoping he'll post some pictures of what the software looks like. He said it is graphically based, um, but Does I've never seen. And this is like a really long card too, so I think it's even bigger than this controller. Sorry. Does it get networked? No, it's just ROMs other... as far as I know. It's basically like a prepackaged bunch. Like it's a whole system of tutorials for classrooms where instead of having to swap a cartridge out every time you switch to a different lesson, they're all on one big monster card and you just select which one you want and it flips which ROM bank it's running. So you have like an entire year's worth of curriculum in, in one card. Uh, if you know, this would go to each um, cocoa that was being used. Yeah. That's from what I understand. Right. It's cheaper than giving everyone a floppy drive and having a, pile of discs if you know your software here you go yeah i just have never heard of anybody on a cocoa like we've had the super rom carts that you know greg zumwalt helped design for like predator and robocop which have more than 32k and i mean back then at this point in time the 16k was the maximum you could have in a rom in a cocoa one or two and this has 640k you know the same amount of ram the pc had when it came out the high-end pc so I just find the fascinating. So I'm hoping he does post some pictures and stuff from it later on here. Gold contacts too. Yeah, it's a well-designed card. It's even got the nice case and everything else. And, you know, so what you're saying is all the ROMs were pre-programmed, period. Yep. You're not changing them. And that's what they would teach. Yep. Yeah. And 64K, I mean, either. I took the largest Coco 1 and 2 ROMs at the time would have been 16K. So there's four times as much ROM space on just one of these 10 chips times 10. So you've got 40 times the storage here of a regular high-end ROM pack in the Coco 1 and 2 era. Like, this is a huge amount. This is more ROM than a Coco 3 512K RAM machine has. So it's, it's, it's a pretty interesting. I've never heard of that project being done before in any other country either. So and you can see, if you look at some of the circuit board stuff, you can see it definitely was you know designed apparently in mexico too because it's got spanish you know on the silk screening and stuff so i'm you know, i'm really curious what the, if you post some pictures what it actually the software looks like so go ahead did it, did it auto boot when he when you turn the machine on i wonder yep. 
Yeah, it came up with a menu and you selected which lesson you were doing and it would just jump to that particular ROM and go start running. Wow. It's almost like a solid straight CD-ROM, like a primitive version of a CD-ROM with 640K storage at the time, where you can't change the contents, but you can manualize everything. Next up, the Coco Crew released their latest episode, 77, I think. Yeah, 77 um, at the end of the month. So they've got um, a few interesting things in there to uh, check out. They've got uh, the host discussion on uh, how well our veterans, alumni, tourists, and, and newbies getting along, which is basically talking about the community. We're getting an influx of people that have never been in the Coco before, haven't been in 30 years, rejoining the people that have been here the whole time. I, personally, I think everything's going along pretty well. Uh, they did their kind of follow-up on Tandy Assembly because that was just you know not too long ago either. So we've had two fests in a row within a month of each other. And you guys, of course, did the excellent job of covering our Coco Fest here and what happened there. Uh, tech segment is on cassette versus BAV, um, the advantages and disadvantages of both. And uh, that was actually more interesting than I was expecting it to be. Um, I'll let you guys listen to it to, to hear the details. And uh, Neil, of course, is a review of Glenn Hill's Defender, which is awesome and just as difficult as the original arcade game. So you can go grab episode 77 wherever you get your podcast. Next up, we have a person that just joined our Coco Discord recently named M. M David Johnson. And he mentioned that he's been involved with the various Coco projects and technical papers and stuff here. So he actually had a couple of links here that actually kind of followed through. He was at Coco Fest, huh? Oh, was he? Okay. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if I've ever met him before, but uh, has he been to a fest before, did you mention? Yes, he has. I haven't been met him before, so. Okay. I've seen his website before, so he's been around for a while. I must have met him. It didn't look familiar to me at all. I do remember the, uh, the, the King James version of the Bible, though, that he had put that software. Because I remember that used to be advertised, I think, in the world of 6-8 Micros, Frank Swigert's old magazine. So yeah. I do remember that. So he's got a kind of a history of what he did here. He was very active. He made a version of fourth based on the CF83 implementation. And he's got all these technical papers that you can read. And there's, some of these are like 100 plus pages long, getting into, you know, it's, it's kind of like Boise's call for research papers. They're very academically oriented, but there's a ton of information in some of these. And he's got a various bunch of subjects here, programming the bare metal, you know, CF83 fourth, um, you know, working video RAM, et cetera. So there's a lot of cool stuff in here. He's got some stuff that he's planning that's not totally done yet, but uh, yeah, it looks like he's very active in this. And I'd uh, love to have him on the show sometime to talk about some of these projects. Hey, he had some of the papers at the show and he's, that seems to be a very nice guy. Oh, did he have a booth there too then? Or? Yes, I, at least I... Yeah, yeah, yeah he had a lot of there. his papers there. Oh, okay. Cool. Next up, uh, Jason Lee Steer. We haven't heard from him in a while. Um, and Nick Morandis, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I think he was working on a Lemmings port at one point years ago, wasn't he, for the Coco 3? Nick's probably asleep. Um but basically, he's come back here to talk about uh, a hardware thing that he think might work really well with the Coco, and it's a uh, Raspberry Pi Pico. Uh, and he thinks that this would be really, really good, well suited for stuff like Bluetooth controllers and USB controllers and all kinds of stuff. It has a very wide variety of hardware that it can support and interface it with the Coco. And he kind of gives some explanation about here. And then the comment section went in about talking about some possible alternative things that might also work too, some that might be a bit cheaper, you know, may have a bit more expandability if it's a bit more expensive. So it's a, it's a way to interface more modern hardware with Coco. So it's a really good discussion going on. It's already got 27 comments on here. 
I'm not a hardware guy, so I can't speak too much to all this. It just sounds really cool. They're talking about hooking up like, you know, Bluetooth joysticks or whatever, or, or you know, USB mice or stuff like that. Well, the, it's like a Swiss main, Army knife. Yeah. Well, the main thing about the Pico is it has that extra little engine built into it that can run some things very fast. You can actually output with spatial code as fast as doing stuff for the DVI. And so it makes it kind of ideal for pulling off some things you couldn't do off of a processor at that speed. The other thing that Jason is stressing is that it can be deterministic, which means you can know you get your data, okay? And uh, I actually have some paper napkin type projects looked at the, the Pi and the Cocoa myself at this time. Really haven't done much coding. So it is uh, very definitely a uh, chip to look at our, our system. You can actually get the bare chip as well for as cheap as a dollar. And competes very ably with things like the STM32 uh, systems. Uh, which are basically, I went looking for chips for a project for Cocoa and they're like non-attainium at this time because of the chip storage, but you can get the Raspberry Pi chips, the Pico chips. So uh, very interesting, a reasonable amount of I.O., some analog to digital converters, plus that that I.O. IO engine that it has that runs independently of the processor, so you can really do some really cool stuff with Okay, so that's a project we'll have to monitor, especially if some of you hardware guys kind of pick it up. If it's only a buck or two bucks a chip, that's that's a big plus because some of these other FPGAs and CPLDs are, are a little expensive. The, the chip itself is one buck. The standard price on the Raspberry Pico is four bucks without headers. Yeah, so nice and cheap. So we'll definitely keep an eye on this. This is an interesting one here, too, that uh, Fabian, who is also at the show, um, Asking, has anybody ever owned one of these and did this company make anything else for the Cocoa? I do remember seeing these ads. So this is a six to 8,008 board you could add to the Cocoa with extra RAM. It actually had a high-res board you could add on with up to 640 by 220 graphics or 640 by 400 on it. like there's a bunch of extra stuff there. You could you know jack it in with 256K of RAM. I do remember they had a 512K version later on too. Now, this was out of my price range at that time. So I never got, got them. I, I'm trying to remember if I actually saw this at the first Rainbow Fest I went to. I might have, but I, I didn't really know too much about it at the time. So it was, it was a rather interesting discussion that people have actually seen it. But he's actually met the person that was one of the designers of this that lives up in Quebec, Canada. And he's going to try to arrange to get him on the show. And he actually has seen one of these things that this guy has still. So this is not a vaporware product. It actually was out. And I'd be interested to see what uh, it's capable of doing and, and you know, talk to the actual designer. So he's trying to arrange for us to get an interview with him too. But did anybody here have any experience with the 68008 board? I know Chris Burke had planned one years and years later, took on the Cocoa 3 as the rocket. But uh, I don't know if any if this was that popular just because it was expensive. I had uh, 68008 uh, experience on a uh, homebrew board, but that was about it. Okay. Yeah, because the 256K version of the 68008 board here was 339 US at the time. And this is 1986, 1985 time range. The graphics card was another $300 US. So, I mean, you're talking like each of these boards is more expensive than a Coco itself, almost more expensive than a Coco and a disk drive combined. So, these are not cheap. So, I imagine they would have been, you know, limited market. Yeah, that's not, that's not going to be cheap. And in addition to that, the 68008, since it was an 8-bit uh, memory bus, would be really slow. 
Yeah. 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 Memory access would be terrible. I, I would imagine some of the math features though could be done pretty fast, even with the slow memory bus. As far as I know, internally it has 16 bit registers and 32, yeah. but well, it's basically yeah, six, just, eight thousand just with an eight bit data belt. Data bus, yeah. It's and like a, an 8088 versus an 8086, basically. And a 24-bit uh, address bus that could do 16 megs. Yep. Well, that was the original plan for the rocket and the very first prototypes that Chris Burke showed us was, was a 68008. Then he ended up upgrading it later to uh heck was it a 68340 or something, some sort of microcontroller one that could also interface in the eight-bit bus was quite a bit faster internally. That project never never went. This was a rather cool one. So the old thing is Tandy Radio Shack here has a link to the uh, vintage Radio Shack sales catalogs, which I find fascinating going through these things. So they got all the old catalogs, and this goes back to way back in the 50s and 40s, like when Radio Shack was still, I think, in Boston or wherever the heck it started at before Tandy bought it out. But uh, they've got a, like a little computer catalogs, they've got the main Radio Shack yearly catalogs, and now they've got these sales flyers. And there's a couple of pretty cool ones in here featuring Cocoa stuff, um, like some of the Cocoa's going on sale for Christmas and like the Cocoa 3 going on sale for Christmas type thing. And it's kind of fascinating to see which machines they were pushing more for, you know, certain seasons versus other ones. Um, and, and what the price is, like some of the price drops they did for Christmas were actually pretty darn good, like, you know, 30, 40% off or something like that. So it's a pretty fascinating. I can get lost in this website for hours, so I'm not going to bring anything up because I'll do it again and then the show will be 13 hours long. So but definitely worth uh, checking for the ability of history. And they're starting to introduce ones that are non-American ones too. So I've noticed they've got a few Canadian sales catalogs and hopefully they'll get some Australian ones and some other ones from the Tandy stores too. Next up, and I think TGB Chris, I, he was in the chat earlier. I don't know if he still is, but he actually put up two videos over the last couple of weeks. So the first one is showing him repairing a Cocoa 3 that was damaged in shipping. Hey everyone, TJB Chris here, and I got a new color computer. And there's a popular game there on this monitor. But this color computer. Okay, it's hidden behind the picture here, but this is the color computer. So basically, when he got this cocoa, it looked at very first glance like it wasn't in too bad a shape. It's a bit dirty, et cetera, et cetera. But then he found out that the, the way it got shipped, it got dropped or something. The guy did pack it well, it wasn't a packing problem. But basically, when he, when he took it out, the whole keyboard shifted over, and the posts that the keyboard rests on were busted off, and like it really got hit hard. And he actually goes through, and like I said, it's a fairly long video. I'm not going to play it all here. It's 30 minutes long. But he goes through, like, trying to glue things back together. And he actually got it going pretty good. And he actually got it, you know, running functionally. And uh, most of the repair of the plastics is what most video covers. And he actually did a pretty good job in, in getting it to work with existing or very small little pieces that he added himself without having to replace, like, the whole case, even though there was multiple pieces busted off in various spots. So definitely worthwhile video checking out if you want to have to do a repair work job on the case. <clears throat> or you can buy a new one from John Strong. <clears throat> and then the second one here was replacing the capacitors of CM8 monitor. So he's trying to fix the CM8. Now, this is his original CM8 he has had since he bought the Cocoa 3 back in the 80s. And he still has a door. Now, part of the door is a little bit broken. You can see it's a bit janky the way it's hanging off there. But he actually goes through and replacing it and how to you know take apart the monitor and what all to replace and how to discharge the tubes you don't get electrocuted when you're working on it and all kinds of stuff so it's a good informational video too and he has some more work he wants to do in the cm8 so i'm imagining there will be a sequel to this at some time this one here was kind of an interesting story this guy went to an auction and for 25 bucks it was labeled portable typewriter or something like that 
So he went and bought it and it actually turned out to be a Cocoa 2 with some game cartridges and all the manuals and Black Beauty joysticks and a CCR81 cassette. And he got the whole haul for 25 bucks. So there's still good deals to be out there, especially when you find people who have no idea what they're dealing with. I won't play it here because he's got a whole bunch of music and stuff that's really loud in the background, but it's a pretty interesting when he goes through the whole thing. And there's some other bits of odds and ends in there too that aren't Coca related, but uh, for 25 bucks, it was a pretty darn good haul. Next up, now you guys can uh, talk about this probably more than I can because Brendan basically announced that he was doing this extender case for the MC10 to be able to fit a Coco VJ and some other mods inside. And uh, this is one showing the orange one now. I think he had alternative colors and even a rainbow coat one at the fest. Is that right? Stevie and the rest of you were there? It was RGB. Oh, even red, green, blue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It was like RGB. So he had this one, a black one, and an RGB one. A multicolored MC10 shim. Yes. Yeah, so he's also rerouted their power and reset buttons to the front. It's even got a lighted power button, and it gives you enough room for, what, the composite output if you wanted to add that, or the Coco VGA. Um, I'm assuming there's enough room in there probably for some other projects too now. I'm assuming there's a fair bit of empty space. Yeah, he did a very good job on it. He's planned on doing this for some while, so we actually got it done. Yeah, it looks uh, good. Yeah, so... He did a good job. And now that we've got all these new MC10 games to play here, there's some more reason to get this kind of stuff, right? Yeah, that was his presentation. It looks really good. The yeah, Coco VGA is, um, is the must-have for all your Coco 1, 2, yeah. Dragon. No, it's, it's a little weird how you have to run it in the MC10 because there's no V-Sync signal. So you have to actually use the timer yeah, on the yeah. microcontroller 6803, and then you have to select, you know, push the orange bar off the screen, and now it'll trigger properly. But you can get full 64 by 32 mm -hmm. text. You get upper, lowercase and lowercase. You can have um, you know, composite 16 color color modes. colors, VGA out, the whole bit. Yeah, that's a really nice board. He's done an exceptional job with the project. Yeah. Next up, we got some uh, Dragon stuff here. Um, so Steve Parham put up these pictures. And this is, once again, to show that the packaging of software, even the lower end cheaper software like this <clears throat> is still miles above what we saw in North America. So this is just the standard, you know, holographic foil you throw into a cassette case, right? I don't think I ever saw a game up here do that or any software for that matter. And, and this is one of their cheaper ones. This is called Micropoly. It's a, basically a clone of Monopoly. And it was actually a, a dual tape for the VIC-20 and the Dragon. Now the rest of the case is pretty normal. The tape's not that fancy. <clears throat> it's double-sided with Dragon on one side, VIC-20 on the other. Um, standard fold up, but just the, having that holographic foil case, I thought that was interesting to show because that was the type of extra oomph they gave to packaging in the Dragon in the UK that we just never saw up here. Next up is a video uh, put up on how to replace a power supply in the Dragon. And I know John Whitworth has been selling replacement boards for those. And I think he's just about sold out if he hasn't already. And uh, he's Basically said he does. He wasn't planning on making any more unless there's enough demand to make a larger run, which maybe that happens. I, my understanding, the Dragon power supply does tend to go a little bit more than, say, the Cocoa ones do. But it's a very nice one. It tells you exactly how to take it apart and how to put the new one in and test it and blah, blah, blah. So if you need to do that kind of thing, it's a really good video. And then the last news story for today um, is a Dragon 32 programming video, which is basically going through basic and, and then teaching you some of the graphics commands and sine and cosine and stuff. And then he ends up with a little, you know, the standard sine cosine style demo that 
James Diffendeffer's probably a, a fan of. Um, just running in basic here and just, you know, doing the kind of fancy spirograph. Spirograph. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Spirograph's what I was thinking too. So anyway, it's actually meant to be a bit of a basic tutorial, but on a very specific set of subtopics to get into, so, you know, sine, cosine, and the, the graphics modes and how to do that kind of stuff. So I don't know if he's planning on doing a series of these, but he said this is the very first programming video on YouTube he's ever done. So I'm hoping he does continue this series because it's, it's nice to have these tutorials that they can grab when they're trying to learn things. And that's the end of the news, which I've powered through as fast as I could. All right, cool. All right, well, we're going to, yeah, I'm starting to get hangry. So, which means that the amount of show time we have left is dwindling by the minute. But we've got a little bit of time left, and we're just going to go over some project updates and acquisitions. And let's just focus on if you picked up anything at Cocoa Fest this weekend, we'll do a show and tell on that. And um, does anybody have any uh, updates and acquisitions and anything you, you might have picked up at the Cocoa Fest this past weekend? Anyone? Anyone? <laughs> Yeah, I did I purchase some brownies, but I already consumed them. <laughs> Nothing to see here. Move along. Yeah. Well, we'll start with that, and then maybe we'll move on to other things. And uh, well, I picked up a couple of floppy drives. Did, can you show those off, or were you not prepared for that? Oh, they're separate over here. One's one's in pieces. And somebody else was mentioning something too that I, they're not sure there was. Right. Yeah, I well, would. Well, while um, while he's getting that, I'll I'll show off some some of my stuff came before Coco Fest, some of it came after. So, the week before Coco Fest, I got two things in the mail exactly the same day. The first one was this. This is the Treasure Island Defense cartridge made by Sheldon McDonald. Very nice packaging, nice clear case and an insert. This was the uh, GMC version, so it's got the Game Master. Uh, chip on it so nice whole package here I haven't had a chance to play with it yet but I am looking forward to playing with this on my Coco 3 and my Coco VGA and then this I also received that very same day from none other than the person on the panel himself right now but I actually got my Coco 3 case for the Coco uh, for the uh, Pi 400 so I got this from John Strong and this is all, all of the back panels and yeah, that's the Pi 400 the that Pi you weren't going to buy. The Pi 400 that I wasn't going to buy. And, yeah, um, and then now I have the case that I said I really <laughs> didn't need or didn't have room for, but this somehow mysteriously showed up at my doorstep. So uh, very cool thing. Very cool product from John Strong. Thanks for making that. Thanks for sending that. Now I will fast forward to, I, I did not get a lot from Cocoa Fest. I, I avoided the auctions the whole time. I didn't want to see anything there because I didn't want to be tempted <laughs> to buy anything. So, so I avoided the auctions like the plague. However, something that I couldn't pass up that Tim Lindner had at his table, but this is Marty's Nightmare. And this was a very rare mm -hmm. game that was released at a Rainbow Fest. Dedicated. Oh, really? Not a Cocoa Fest, Not specifically a Cocoa. written by Steve Bjork about Marty Goodman. For Marty Goodman. And so this is probably from Marty Goodman's personal collection. So this is an original physical copy of Marty's Nightmare. Probably not a lot of these around the world. So I figured, let me grab one of those. I have I one. Have a software question. Yeah, what's that? Oh, yeah, I've got a software question, right? I've got yeah. it. Now, this was a gift to me from Terry Steen, author of Balloon Fire and Killer of Couches. But uh, Brian Weezer had a few things for, uh, for sale at his table. And he says, you know what, Steve, I want you to have this. So now I can have a blast with the new math tutor. 
So I will be <laughs> having a blast with the new math tutor. So Terry Steen's like, yeah, you got to have You that. might even learn something. I might even learn me something. So I will be having a blast with the new math tutor. And last, but certainly not least, I got not one, but two from the mind of Rick Eulen. But these are new stock. IBM PC Junior joysticks converted to run on a Coco. So these are basically Coco 3 Deluxe joysticks. Brand new. So I got no excuse now to say, oh, it's that 40-year-old controller that sucks. It's no. Now if I, now if I suck, it's because I suck, right? That's the 50-year-old owner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I got two of these from Rick Eulen, these brand new deluxe joysticks. You got to love it. So I got them. So there you go. That's my So just before we get this. to the other people that actually have stuff to show up, I did want to mention one comment. I don't know if you guys caught that during the auction on the live stream, but uh, Amigo Aaron came on and was watching the auction, and he was just upset. That stuff was selling for so cheap. He said, don't these people know what this cocoa stuff is worth? <laughs> and I said, no, that's why you got to go to the auction because this yeah. isn't eBay pricing. This is where you get friends buying stuff from yes. friends. You can get yes. good deals. Yeah. Wait, just wanted to share that. Mark Bosley, you ready to show off your floppies? Yeah, I got a floppy drive. Think oh, I showed you. Big old floppy. And what's really neat about it, uh, the CDC was made here in town. There was just, this thing was manufactured, uh, you know, a couple of miles from here. Wow. What, what town is that for people who don't know where oh, you live? I'm sorry, Oklahoma City. So I used to drive by the building these things were made in on my way to work every day. So this one appears to now be working fine. Uh, just needs a little bit of love. The other one, the other half, the other one there, is going to need like a tear down and, uh, you know, complete clean out and refurbishing. But it should also work when I get that done. So cool. Yeah, I was, I was hoping for a reaction from David Ladd, but I don't know if he's still here. He's not on the call anymore, so he's missing out, man. Floppy out a while ago. It's he fell asleep. Ooh. He's what do you mean meal. I'm not here? Oh, there oh, he is. Oh, there he is. Uh -oh. He snuck back in. <laughs> See, you talk about floppy drives and he appears. It's like a genie. <laughs> yeah, for, for as much time as Mark Bosley spent running around that auction, I'm surprised that's all you got, Mark. Well, that's all I had a chance to bid on. Ah, yes. I bid on something. I think it was a collection of like the uh, cartridge, a bunch of the uh, little square manuals for cartridge games. And it was a whole bunch of those. Once it got uh -huh. up to like $15, I'm like, you know what? I don't really need these things. I'm not going <laughs> to blow a freaking fat wad on these things. But it would have been nice to have. It's small enough to fit in my suitcase, but it wasn't like $25 plus nice for me anyway. So I was, that's when I stopped bidding. I had, to, I had to think of things that were small that I could fit on my suitcase that weren't going to cause my wife to want me to sleep on the couch. All right. So um, <laughs> good stuff. Good stuff. Who else has a Coco Fest update acquisition they want to talk about? Uh, I got one one quick thing from uh, John Strong. Hold on. Uh, Pi 400 case let's, like yours. Let's spotlight. Hold it up a little bit more. Isn't that beautiful? Look at that fine quality craftsmanship. Look at that. Yep. It's for the Pi 400, which is basically a, a keyboard with the Pi 4 built into it. And uh, so I got to order that now to stick in here. Now you need to get but, the, uh, the matching object to go with that object right so, yeah. <laughs> so john, john did john sell out of these at the show like it looks like a lot of people bought them 
I don't know, but he he did a good sales job on me. I was I told him I said, yeah, I'm going to pick one of those up eventually. He's like, get one now and save the shipping. I was like, <laughs> all right, <laughs> let me go get the money. <laughs> you got you got me. You got it. You know, Shut he up, had man. a point. You know, it's funny. I did a similar thing. Like I bought from I bought at a Cocoa Fest. I had bought in the plastic case to put on the MCX 128, and I didn't even own an MCX 128 yet. I'm like, you know what? But you're here. I'm going to get it one of these days. I'll get one. I end up getting one of those later on, and I got that. So yeah. Sometimes it's just good to get it at the fest because it's there. You're getting it at fest price. Yeah. You're not paying. What you're telling me is that John's the master of the upsell. Is what you're saying? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he sure is. I did just the opposite, Steve. Well, you know, I bought the MCX 128 and then picked it up at Cocoa Fest for the ca- picked up the case ah, at Cocoa Fest. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Well, you know, not only that, it supports John and he's doing that work with the with the full size case and everything. And <clears> I think that's great work that he's doing that with that. So you know, that was probably. Partially, I wanted one, and partially, I wanted to just support John so he can keep working on uh, on creating those uh, full size cases. Yeah, support's appreciated. And speaking of John, now it's your turn. You are spot lit, John Strong. Okay. Well, at the fest, basically, I bought a Coco Two uh, with a different style case than the case I had in in uh, here. So I have two of the style cases for the Coco Two for the full size case project. And I did make available, and I do have available, the version for the the Pi 4 for the case. And a Pi 3B, 3B Plus version is in the works. So if you don't have the Pi 400 and you want to use your Pi 4, I do have a solution for you there. Cool have you talked to Pedro Pena at all, John? Like he's the one who's making the Coco Two and Coco Three motherboard replacements now. You guys uh, come yes, together and make a yes. whole new Coco. Uh, yes, we are. I am continually talking with him as far as testing. Uh, yeah, he, he gave me some news. I think he might be ready to share it, but I'm uh, planning on getting a Coco Two board from him, and uh, hopefully get some time to get him some ideas because he's uh, doing some variation. What from the original design now. I have some suggestions that might be very helpful with him to, to consider. I haven't had a chance to talk to him, but yes, he came on and said he really liked my presentation and and said he was going to soon have a, a Coco 2 boards ordered in with their, you know, if I was interested in one. I actually had one of the uh, boards uh, just with some connectors at the fest so people could see it firsthand. And so, yeah, I'd like to have built one up. So cool. Uh, we'll, we'll see what happens here. So we're keeping in contact. So I requested him to keep me in the loop and he said he would. So okay. when, when you guys do get something jointly together, we should have you both on for a special presentation. Yeah. And so, yeah, it, it'd be nice. And, uh, you know, there's things in works, so I, I think that's it. Uh, on the cases, I, I know some people have complained that they didn't make my cases smooth enough. Uh, it's one of the trade-offs between print time and the other. The large printers, large enough to print those in one piece, are generally very slow. They have that large bid to move. And so one of the trade-offs is, is you know, what's your step resolution on it? Yeah, I can print finer than what I sell these cases at, but uh, to print them as fine as they're doing the little printers, it probably take about 54 hours on my printer. Mm. So, you know, I'm not going to spend that amount of time on 
on a single case. I have one more update that I forgot to show. That's on my head now. I'm going to zoom on this real quick. So this was... Where's the propeller? Yes. (laughs) This was um, uh, Fabian and the Cocoa Bites guys. They were selling these hats. This was five bucks for a hat. So uh, I figured why... why There's more than in May there, so I can pick one up. Yeah. yeah. Yes, Yes, actually, I I forgot about that because he he did say last the fest. He came over and actually gave me one. Uh, they had me sign their uh, their Pi 400 case form. So. Oh, cool. Sloopy, did you get anything at the fest? You are joking, right? <laughs> I, I feel like Brian Weisler with what I got. What did didn't you get? Uh, <laughs> did you bring a semi truck like he did? Yeah. <laughs> no, I uh, I had all those uh, Apple monitors. I had to. Uh, Throw them out uh, when I was out there, so I could bring all my stuff back. So, first of all, I got some cartridges. Nice. I got them free. Okay, free is good. A good price, then. Yeah. Yeah. Unless they're unless they're all color script set. Yeah. Not one of them is color script set. Oh, good, good, good. This is my most ac- uh, most expensive acquisition. Coco two. First Coco two. Melted. It is a Coco two for twenty bucks. Nice. That's a steal. Nice. Yeah. Almost my most expensive. I got a book or two. Nice. I like those. Had those. Those are good. Yep. Yeah. I have this. I have. I have. I had both of them. This one's long gone. This one is, well, let's just say when you've gone through it more than a, uh, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> it's well pretty worn. worn it's well red is, I think, what you're saying. <laughs> it, it's, it's, it was gone through more than a, uh, porn man's, uh, a porn mag in the hands of a 14-year-old. So did you manage to sell some of your Apple monitors? Because did you have RGB ones in there too, like GS or just? Uh, no, composite? they were all... Composite, color composite and i traded one and then the rest didn't sell at all but um a, as you know i've been to vcf midwest many times and uh, i've known uh, jason timmons for years so he allowed me to keep uh keep them in the uh in his warehouse um i'll have a few for sale at in may and then in uh vcf midwest in september i'll have all of them for sale because i actually have eight more here then I got this. Oh, oh me, 100 or 102? Let me, I let can't me tell. Spotlight nice. You'll go far, Sloopy. You'll 100, go the far. original. Yes. And I got this for free. Wow. Holy that's crap! Is it that's working? That's a steal. Wow. I don't. I don't know if it's if it's working because I haven't plugged power into it. You don't have any double A's. It runs on batteries too. Yep. Now. I got this. Coco Trois. Coco Three. Oh, nice. Three. Hey. Working. And this. And another Coco Three. Twins. <laughs> Put them together. Got, That's a Coco Six. I got this one. <laughs> Fifty bucks. Fifty bucks. And how much are those going for you on eBay these days? Three to four hundred. Yeah, I got it for fifty bucks, and it works fine. This one. How much memory? Uh, they're both 128K. 
this one had a bad space bar, but it just wasn't put together correctly. <laughs> now is everyone everyone sitting down? Yeah, sitting down. I got this one for ten dollars. Huh. Wow. Oh, it's even less than the one on I uh, Are you it's even less than the one I've got back in the 90s? If, if people get... need an excuse to come to the fest, that's it right there. You can get deals <laughs> like this that you cannot get on eBay. Like didn't people that are complaining it's too expensive, come down. You'll that's, you'll yeah. save the money buying a Coco 3 compared that's to what that's you paid the to gas get there. money right there. Right. And it didn't have any type of soap powder or key switch in it. And it was the reason why I got it so cheap is because the gentleman that I got it from, I was very nice to him. I mean, he was a very nice guy, easy to talk to. Um, well, he's been a, uh, he was a member before. And uh, it was like the end of the show and he didn't feel like taking it back home. And he goes, make me an offer. And I'm like, all I've really got is 10 bucks. And he goes, I'll so sold. So... And then the last thing that I got. But wait, there's more. Yes. Coco one. Oh, uh, original, original with a RAM case. badge. 4K. 4K. Badge. That's like a D board, probably. Uh, it's an E board. Ah, uh, darn. What's the um, number on the back? Yeah, what's the serial number? Serial number? Yeah, come on now. The or model number, too. 26 dash. Can't read it. So five okay. seven eight six four or something. Five, five two, two eight, eight, six, eight. six eight. Yeah, and it's a three thousand one. Like a vision test. Which was the four K model? Three thousand one. Yeah. Yeah, still got the four K RAM badge on it too. That's, that's, that's like the one I had, except I had a D board. And it's still got the rubber shoes too. Yeah, I um, I actually got that to Kevin Ray, and I want to shout out to him. Thank you. Um, it didn't, uh, he gave it, to, originally he asked me if I could uh, fix it for him. I was like, yeah, sure. No problem. Just bring it over to my booth and I'll fix it. And about an hour and a half later, he came over. He said, well, I don't really need it because he actually got it in the auction with a color baseball cartridge, um, for 20 bucks and said that he only wanted the cartridge. So he asked me, <laughs> if I, he asked me if I wanted it. And I'm like, well, yeah, but I, he's like, no, you can have it for free. Cause I mean, I did some other, uh, work for him and such. And he goes, you can have it for free. And I, uh, said, sure. I thank you very much. And I want to thank him again. And, um, yeah, I found out what was wrong with it. It was, um, it's been upgraded to 64 K full 64 K and it would only uh, respond as a 4k machine. And I finally fixed it. It had a, the uh, memory configura configuration jumpers were not correct. And once I fix that, it's a fully working 64K Coco One. Sweet. Very awesome. nice. Come so. to Coco Fest, boys and girls. Get cheap stuff, man. Yeah, I That's mean, the it moral was like. Of the story. Whew, I, I got what? Almost $1,000 worth of value. That's that's better than going to a Radio Shack back in the day. I do. Hey, have, I, I do have a soundbite for that. Hold on one second. That's well, better than the free batteries they gave. That's a real bargain. <laughs> hey, Sleepy, we have a bidding war going on here. Uh, somebody offered uh, twenty dollars, two times what you paid. Somebody else, I think, is after a little bit more. Oh, Kevin Kevin Allway, he'll bid thirty. For what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure which one. They didn't say. Probably <laughs> the Coco Three. Oh yeah. yeah. Murphy says the funny part is that Sleepy almost didn't go. No. Oh no, sloppy! Although sloppy <laughs> didn't go, sloopy went. 
Right. <laughs> oh yeah, and I also got nobody cares anymore, Sloopy. We hate you. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. I forgot the badges. The badges. I got a really cool get badge. badges. Can you zoom that badges? up there, Stevie? Yeah. I am working on that right now. Yeah. Good He's got like the three badges. of them. <laughs> He's got like yeah. three badges. Sweet. Yeah. I got my name. Yeah, one that just says Sloopy. One that just has my nickname. And one that has my I'm in trouble name. Uh-oh. <laughs> Your government name. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, not many people know my, 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 my literal name. It's Yeah, we forgot to show that off. The badges and the yeah. lanyards were really nice. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Jim Brain. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, whereas most people, their their online monikers are just like online. Mine is actually my actual nickname in real life since uh, 1983. So I'm used to people calling me sloopy in real life i mean i've actually worked jobs where if you called and asked for chris they wouldn't have they didn't know who you were talking about <laughs> all right all right all right hey slippy it was a coco three it's up to thirty dollars so far that's thirty dollars wow <laughs> that's three times my uh purchase price that's wow right. you can triple your money right now right. well maybe and no should, ebay fee yeah maybe i should sell my old coco three i've cussed at it enough grant did you get anything you're muted, Grant. Can't hear you. You're not Sounds muted good. on Zoom either, so it's weird. Just as well. Testies, testies, Grant? No, still muted, Grant. You're still muted. You got a mute button. Maybe your That's headphone went to sleep and our microphone went I think it's broken. Matt, can't hear you. Can't hear you, Grant. Probably for the best. Probably for the best. Yeah. This is this is the best Grant segment ever. There it is. Oh, now that it came works. through. Unfortunately, <laughs> we can now hear Grant. Yes. Yeah, I just got some uh, some cartridges and um, some, mainly software is what I mainly got. I'll show them next week. <laughs> yeah, Kevin Holloway is asking about the QR codes. They were going to the website showing you the. Uh, one of them was the floor plan, and the other one was the speaker schedule and the presentation. Yeah, here, here they, here's the uh, QR codes yeah. if anyone wants to see them. Table layouts and speaker schedule is what that was all about. Good How fest. 21st century. Yeah, so so hopefully by hearing us talk about this this um, year's Cocoa Fest and watching the live streams, if anybody <laughs> had not considered it or was on the fence, um, I know here's the funny thing is too is I just watched Total Recall last night, so I'm gonna paraphrase something by Arnold Schwarzenegger and say, "Get your ass to Coco Fest, get your ass to Coco Fest, get your ass to Coco Fest." Right? So just get out there and get to Coco Fest, buy some stuff, support some of our local vendors making hardware and software and cases and cables and soldering and all that kind of stuff. It is, uh, it is like the Lollapalooza. Freaking Comic Con uh, Woodstock of Cocoing. It's our annual retreat. There's just no costumes and no marijuana being passed around. But other than that, it's um, it's a it's a darn good event. Uh, come on out and see it. Coco Talk was inspired by Coco Fest. We started this show just talking about the excitement we had for the upcoming 2017 Coco Fest. And by somehow freak accident, we're still here and we're on the air. And ironically, we're talking about and celebrating Coco Fest again four years later. So um, the, the excitement that is Coco Fest is contagious, and it is the spirit that keeps us going all week, all month, all year long, year after year after year. They're celebrated 29 years. This year coming up will be the 30th. 
uh, and uh, 30th annual Cocoa Fest. That says something that you keep an event going that long, right? Because Rainbow Fest yep. didn't last that long, <clears throat> and the Cocoa Fest has been going on for 30 years. Um, so thank you, Glenside. <laughs> I just wanted to post a question too that I know came up in the chat during the streams there. Yeah. <clears throat> and you guys that are hardware vendors and hardware repairs that are going to be at the next fest here, there's quite a few people asking about getting 639 upgrades done on site during the show. How many of you vendors on the panel here now are planning on having that as an available service for people? I actually did some uh, this past one. And if I can get a hold of 63, 63809s, I will be able to do it at the next one and mark uh usually does that as well when he's at the fest he he was this one mark marlett from cloud nine yeah I, how about I, mark overholes or rick you and some of these other hardware guys are you guys planning on doing that type of service too wouldn't be very easy for me to bring soldering equipment <laughs> oh, okay well um, they do you can ship it Rick? I, 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 think, I think it would be a good thing if somebody wants to have an upgrade in the desolder project to make sure you've scheduled that with whoever yeah. the particular vendor That's is. That's what I'm trying to see. Like if we've yeah, got multiple it's... vendors, if a bunch of people come in wanting them, that we can spread it out so not one person sitting behind a chair all three days or all two days right. like Richard used to have to do. Right, because Sloopy I... ended up buried behind his table soldering away for the whole fest. Um, hey, I didn't I bought... mind. Right, well, and I bought a drive wirelessly from him, but I I didn't make him solder it in because, hey, you should come up for air a little bit. Um, <laughs> kind of why I don't typically do that thing in general, let alone at a show, because it's 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 time right. consuming and well, it's it's almost a a good reason for the half fest, where we're more concentrated on spend more days, do more things. Yeah, the thing Jim Brain was talking about at the top of the show. Yeah. Um, well, if Richard Lorbieski makes it this year uh, or next year, then hopefully he can too. Uh, I know he had done that in the past too. So Cloud9 would be one of your vendors. If Boyson Tech is going to be there, that would be another one. We do have other capable people like Sloopy. Um, I'm not sure who else. Rick, so I don't know, Rick, if you answered the question, would you be willing or able to do a desoldering well, socket replacement at a fest? Yeah, I'll bring parts because now that I know what to bring and I know it all fits in my car, <laughs> All right, so Rick might be another one. So we might have a few options there. Um, good good question. Good to know. Um, I know hey, Brendan I... Donahue does a little bit, too, with the Cocoa VGA side of things. So if you needed yeah. something done on the Cocoa VGA side, then he would be able to help you in that regard. Go ahead, John Strong. Sorry. Yes, I just wanted to bring up you know, with the past in the car bowl that he was very instrumental in, in the, uh, the, first, the first Cocoa Fest happening. Okay. Oh, that's uh, right. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yes, I just was reading. Actually, have a Crocodile Chronicles uh, from my brother had that Alan Huffman had signed and such, and reading on that. And so he's very instrumental in that. So Carl, uh, I haven't seen it at the fest for some while, but uh, be missed. And I wanted to wanted to bring that up since it hadn't been mentioned. That, you ah. know, let's be talking about the Cocoa Fest. He's very much push for again glenn's side to, to support to the take it over fest. when rainbows shut down i forgot about that yes you know the planet you know in case they wasn't going to do that so that's actually con uh, chronicle in the coco Chron the chronicles that was written and so i thought that was a very appropriate information to add here at the time and if i may personally thank everybody who helped make the coco fest go uh, all the guys who are running the video stevie and uh, I think Mark Bosley and 
and Reaver and just everybody. Thank you. Thank you for all the interest in my project. I uh, appreciate it. It helps you keep going when you're having, you know, issues like 3D printers failing and things like that. So thank you all. You're welcome. Thank you for all the cool stuff you do. All right. Well, my stomach is telling me it's almost dinner time. So I'm going to run the outro and we'll have some parting thoughts right after these words. And this is a brand new updated slideshow, including pictures from this past weekend's Cocoa Fest will be being played during this outro. So if you blink, you might miss it, but you might see yourself in here once or twice. Here we go. This concludes another episode of Cocoa Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Calore computer, MC10 and Dragon systems. For all things Cocoa Talk, visit us on the web at cocotalk.live. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live. Consider supporting the show with a purchase of merchandise from our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, click on the Patreon link on our website, cocotalk.live. Cocoa Talk would not exist without the community, its cast, crew, and contributors. Thanks go to Alan Murphy, Amigos Retro Gaming, Bill Noble, Brian Joyce, Brian Weaver, Curtis Boyle, D. Bruce Moore, Danny O'Connor, David Ladd, Eric Canales, George Jansen, Grant Leedy, James Diffendapper, Jason Reichert, Jim Brain, Ken Reichert, Ken Waters, Mark Bosley, Mark Overholzer, Mikey Furman, Mr. Dave 6309, Nick Morentes, Nick Morota, Nick Morota, Nick Morota, Paul Fiscarelli, Richard Lorbieski, Rick Adams, Rick Ewan, Rob Inman, Ron Delvaux, Samuel Gimes, Sloopy Malibu, Steve Bjork, Terry Steggy, Tom C., and many, many more. Please help support the Cocoa community. A list of various contributors and resources are available at imacoconut.com. That's I-M-A-C-O-C-O-N-U-T dot com. The original Cocoa Talk theme song is copyright 2008 by D. Bruce Moore and Greg Sheeler. The new Cocoa Talk theme song is copyright 2020 by D. Bruce Moore. Both are mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. Coco forever! Strong was in there a couple times. John Strong is like the uh, Mr. Photogenic there. Uh, Very cool. Good show. Uh, Under four hours. That's how it's done, boys and girls. All right. Great show. Curtis Boyle gave us tons of news. We managed to stay awake. That's amazing. That's a great thing. Uh, Gentle reminder, too, if you guys are into general retro and you want to see a bunch of West Virginian retro enthusiasts, they're on tonight at 7 Eastern on the Amigos channel. Who's our next interview? 
Who is our next interview, Curtis? Who is our next special? Our guest? next one actually is not an interview. It's going to be the live stream we're trying to set up with the dragon people from their big dragon gathering at the end of the month, their version of Cocoa Fest. Mm. Oh, we got some openings so then. We need, get, we need to get somebody booked then for next week. <laughs> nope, we, we got we, overbooking we, in December already, so I'm done. Sorry. We can't book. We can't We can't get David Ladd next week? Ooh. Um, no. Ooh. <laughs> All right. Well, we're we get David Ladd every week. Isn't that enough already? That's right. We're going to press the button. Say goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, goodbye everyone. Everybody. Bye. Coco forever. We'll see you at next Coco Fest. 